Well then, let's get into it. Welcome back. We good? Welcome back, E2, Pipe Dreams. Like always, we're in our Chuck Wallace studio in the Ocho. The Ocho. The Ocho. Got my good buddy, Corey Alexander, and I got a great, great guest for you guys. Somebody we've been looking forward to. This guy I've grown up racing dirt track with. We all know him. Big John. Johnny Lewis. Big John. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. No worries. What have you, you been up to out here? Uh, trying to make road racers flat trackers. <laughs> How's that working? That's <laughs> uh, good. It's a little bit of a change up pace for these guys, I think, but they, they enjoyed it, so it was good. So we're at Chuckwalla. So you just set up a, you got Royal Enfields out here. Yep. And yep. put together a slide school, uh, launched the West Coast slide school. So kind of needed a, <clears throat> not to drive so much. So I put together a truck and trailer and brought some bikes out and leaving them out here and I'm going to start doing more West Coast stuff and kind of have a, it's a good group of people out here, but then it's also just the client base is good <clears throat> everywhere in uh, California. So I'm excited about getting out here and being part of it. So what does that kind of entail for people that don't know, like side school? So you've got, you've got what, a couple, you got the Himalayas. What do you have? Royal yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a it's basically a program we we put together to be an intro to flat track. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so we used the uh, the Royal Himalayan at first. It's like a little four four ten cc venture bike. Now we kind of switched to a little bit different model. It's pretty much the same thing, but it's it's just to get people out and try flat track. It's very uh, very basic. It's a three hour class, <clears throat> run through the basics, but it's um it's cool because it's just getting people on the bike. <laughs> There was some. We had some of the boys from the Ocho out there. <laughs> they, were, they were looking rough. Who was it? It, it was. It was interesting because it's they're going literally from the road race track, and then I'm just trying to flip the gears, and we're sitting opposite side of the bike and <clears throat> trying to get them riding dirt and trying to get them loose and feel the bike being loose underneath them and trying to make you know explain to them why it's such a good you know background. You know, you know, Corey went through the struggle <laughs> bus of being a road racer and trying to flat track. <laughs> Um, which is in a story in itself, but, uh, it was cool to see the guys, you know, kind of, uh, latch onto it, see the, see the benefits of it. You know, I obviously have tons of experience with you guys and watching and being at races with Corey and <clears throat> kind of can explain the differences and why flat track is such a good tool to help their road racing. Uh, so it was, it was fun. It was, it was fun to have such a group of just road racers m- mainly, <clears throat> you know, most of these schools I'm doing. It's a lot of venture riders. You guys have a little bit of dirt, but a lot of these guys had no no dirt experience. So it was it was <laughs> we tough. Did we get any crashes? Uh not not as many as I thought. You know, okay. I'm, I think I'm just a good teacher, so <laughs> I kind of limited their their actions. But no, we did have a couple. It was more just <clears throat> low sides, and it was when they dipped their head and didn't sit crack on crack. You know, and pushed the bike down. They just kind of dipped the head and the front end went out and explained to them why, and they got their stuff together. So. Talk us through where did the slide school come from? So originally, I've been doing schools, obviously, the Moto Anatomy. Um, it's uh, my program I've been doing for a long time. <clears throat> but when I got picked up by Runfield, part of the uh, program was, hey, we want you to develop race bikes, go race. But <clears throat> we want to help develop a program that will we can kind of build a kind of model that we can expand it worldwide. So my first launch of slide school was actually in India. 
Yeah, I remember you going over there. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So we launched over there, um, taught some journalists, and kind of got it going. Then COVID hit. Um, <clears throat> then in the mix of COVID, I was able to launch it in the States. And it was like August. And then that first year, I mean, it just was crazy because everybody was looking for something to do. Get out of the house. I just could not. I mean, I couldn't book a date and not be packed. It was just full. Um, since then, I'm almost 500 people. You know, that actually taught on these rolling fields, and it's 500 new people to flat track. So um, <clears throat> it all kind of came together because Rumfield just wanted to get people the experience of riding. It wasn't like they wanted somebody to go super fast and be on a 450. They just wanted to get them out there on the bike and show them that hey, you can have fun and, you know, you can have fun on this motorcycle and you can learn a new, you know, technique that it can help, you know, if you want to be a flat tracker, but it also can help just any type of riding, you know. So it was, it was neat. And, you know, now we have <clears throat> schools in, there's two in India, one in uh, Italy, one in UK, and we're launching some other ones. I've seen, You go to every single one? <clears throat> or no. You've I've taught some people? Taught, taught the guys to teach. Um, that's cool yeah, so it's been pretty neat and then, big franchise guy yeah except for <laughs> I don't get no royalties from it <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't know Rolling Fields is pretty big as a brand right yeah as a brand it's uh, it's like the, the oldest and the largest motorcycle company I think they sold like 800,000 motorcycles I was gonna last say year. it was like close to a million <laughs> bikes or something yeah, before COVID it was I think that year was like 900,000 motorcycles and then it kind of backed off and they're, they're getting back to that, that number again so it's People don't realize how big they are. Yeah, so it's they're the oldest company too. So they're that's they're 120 last year. So they're the oldest continuous running. I remember company. when at my last year in England, I heard about them. It's like one of my crew guys went to work for them and just ride bikes essentially, yep. like just to try to break them and do you know like tests. The good stuff. Right. Yeah, 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 like good job, I guess. I'm good but, at that. So what was it like being in India? Uh, Indians, it's unique. <clears throat> Definitely put a perspective on life, you know, just kind of seeing how everything is, the the difference of poverty, um, <clears throat> just seeing how some stuff's manufactured literally, like, seems like on the street. They don't even have warehouses, just really? metal, like, making molds, like, right there. It's just, it's crazy how you see <clears throat> so much in, in those areas. There's so, so many people, but the riding is, is awesome. Like, it's like street riding. You know, I don't ride in the States really because, you know, just straight highways over there. It's just like the roads are so packed with people, uh, animals crossing, like there's no stoplights. Tr track? Is there like? <clears throat> there's no order. Like, That's insane. You kind of have like sides so of roads you ride are... on. No, it's just horns. You know, everybody's honking the horn to let you know where you're at. It's just like honk, 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 honk. That's kind of like me today. And you're just trail riding. <laughs> It's like you're trail riding a motorcycle the whole time, so it's that's insane. It's it's I I love it. That is like, cool. So you were there for how many days? Just I've been there four times now. And um, but like ten days or like how yeah, many? Yeah, last one was two weeks, so it was uh it was a cool experience because there was a big event that Rollingfield does. It's like ten thousand people and everybody's on rolling fields and it's just concerts. We did schools. I think I taught seventy two people in four days. What's the dirt like there? Is it pretty? Good. Is yeah, it, different part, different parts of the country is obviously it's like the states. It's you different. just build build a track out of nowhere. Yeah, the, the first time I went over, I actually built a track around a mango farm. <laughs> so it was like literally around mango trees. That's so cool. The the other time I went over, uh, like this last one, was, it's an event. It's like a it's, it's like a sanctuary for animal uh, for cows. So it's like hmm. they have to get the cows off this property. We have to build a track, and then they have to. There's Green. no tractors allowed, so they literally built this thing by hand 
water it by hand. <clears throat> it's something. Those it's like Kobe you know, beef Wagyu cows or what? No, it's just the the <laughs> workforce there. It's like they don't they don't like allow tractors on certain parts of land. It's huh. like there's hmm. there's certain things that they have. So it's like literally guys were watering the track with buckets of water and whisking it with <laughs> homemade like hay brooms and stuff. It was pretty wild. Before you went over there, had they heard of flat track before? Like, do they know about American <clears throat> flat track? They've seen it because of like Instagram and stuff, and everybody, you know, the country's, you know, poverty levels are so much, but everybody has a cell phone over there. So they, you know, see it. And as soon as I like started doing this Runfield thing, like Instagram followers went up like crazy. It's all just Indian people. So well, that's like, cool. I know mine. Like, I, if I post something in the US during like the afternoon, overnight, it'll, if it's going to get any like, views or traction it goes up overnight and it's all people from yeah. india they're huge and they're huge motorcycle fans yeah. it's like it's crazy how passionate they are and uh i mean everybody rides like you don't see cars and it's like <clears throat> when i did my first school so i was like flying over i'm like man everybody rides i'm like this is guy probably gonna be pretty good because in the states not everybody rides and they, they don't ride every day yeah <clears throat> these people ride every day i mean with the kids on the back i mean i've seen kids and dogs and grocery baskets all wild oh, yeah just riding there so i'm like <laughs> i'm like these people are going to be able to ride and sure enough like i almost had to calm them down because they were like so anxious so ready to ride so aggressive and i'm like want to shout out the title but they never have like racing over there yeah so it's, it's do you think easy. is there it, could there be some talent that i mean there's obviously got to be hidden talent <clears throat> right if you could groom it but do you think there's could be some talent like that got brought over like gets bring over or? i think it's one of those things that you know with this program starting it always could start something, you know, mm -hmm. it's uh Rowanfield now does a road racing program over there. Everybody, <clears throat> it's men on bikes and there's uh it's like an expert level and an amateur level and they have like, I don't know, 48 guys and, you know, they ride the shit out of these <laughs> INT 650s, like That's they're stock awesome. trim and I'm just like, That's so cool. holy crap. Like you see some of the videos and they're just, I'm like, I don't think I go that fast. <laughs> I think about that all the time though, because it's like, I don't know, you look at like every other major sport and... There's such a deep field of like population that is fighting to become talented at something where like what we do is like so small. So I always think about like what if everyone in the world tried to do what we what we do? Like we'd yeah, be what, out of a job. Would I be that would <laughs> I actually be that good? Nah, you're too tall. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Yeah. I think so too. Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty tall yourself, John. I'm way shorter than Corey. That's why we call you Big John. What about so like Obviously, the, the slide school thing came up from your relationship with Royal Enfield. Prior to that, you had 10 training just itself, which yep. is you still kind of morphed into Moto Anatomy. But prior to that, what was your your background with teaching? Because you worked for another school or something like that. Yeah, I did. Past, right? um, I don't know. It was unique. Like, through my whole career, um, you know, one of the youngest kids I remember working with was actually Nick, Nick McFadden. <laughs> like, he was like six years old. His dad dropped him off, and I was probably maybe six. I wasn't even 16 years old. I just remember, like, always working with people, and um, it's kind of funny. Like, my mom just sent me, like, a little letter that I wrote in school when I was, like, 13 years old, and it was like, who am I? And I talk about everything that I, like, I, you know, my brother, and blah, 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 but one of the things I wanted, I put it in, it was like, I love teaching. I love listening. <clears throat> You all right? Yes. You need a water? That whiskey getting to you? No, I was just... <laughs> <laughs> you to take another swig, big no, dog? It's like dry. It's Arizona, or, uh, the desert got me dry. Get this man a cough drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's just... Uh, 
my mom sent me this letter and it was like, I wrote like, who, who am I? And it's like, you know, about my family and Big job. you know, all these, all these goals <laughs> that I had and stuff. And one of the things I wrote like at 12, 13 years old is like, I love listening and learning from people. And I love teaching people. Like I love teaching people how to ride and do stuff better. And like, this is when I was 13 years old. So I just feel like <clears throat> I just always had that net natch of like wanting to help people. And, um, just kind of morphed into that. So I then went racing supermoto and uh, did pretty good at that. And then for when I came, KTM, right? Yeah, factory KTM. And then when I came back to flat track, it was kind of like <clears throat> starting over again. Like I, I did literally maybe rode once on a flat track bike my whole supermoto career. Like I literally just went from flat track right to supermoto. That's the only thing I did. When I came back, um, Mike Hacker, he's a former racer, started a school called Ride Academy, and. Uh, it was with Jake Johnson and Kenny Coolbath and myself. They asked me to do it, and I'm like, oh, this would be pretty cool. So I started helping with that, and then it just, like, morphed into, like, man, I just love doing it. And I uh, was with Mike for a while, and then I wanted to start expanding, just not being in Virginia and stuff, and that's kind of when I moved to Florida. And then, you know, Mike's like, ah, you know, I don't want to travel that much. And I was like, almost probably go on my own. So I went on my own, and from then it just, like, you know, tenfolded, you know, just haven't stopped. It's just like, I don't know what life without teaching somebody would be <laughs> like. I, I, every every day I'm trying to help somebody so in some way. It's kind of unique because you went from how many years on Supermoto? It was like three of the years factory KTM and then the fourth year. So I did four years nonstop. And so it's kind of unique, like in our discipline to move out from just not racing 100% of the time trying to make it. So like, how was that transition for you trying to essentially get out of the bubble right because like as racers we look next year we got to find a ride we got to try to get there and at dirt track's a little bit different than road racing some stuff because it's a little bit more lax you know a lot of homegrown teams and yeah. stuff like that versus like actual now it's more professional with teams but how was it like was it tough to get out of the bubble or was it you just destined to i don't know i think it's uh I think it kind of goes back to my dad. It always instilled in me to like always have a backup plan, you know, always have something to do. Always if something doesn't work out, always have, you know, something. So <clears throat> it's like when I was racing, I was still doing schools. I was still working, you know, for him being a plumber, AC, whatever. I always had something to do. So like, I never even thought of it that way. It's like, if I didn't have a ride, my <clears throat> sleds, you know, he'd still teach schools mm -hmm. and I still had another job. So I just always kept, kept active because I just never was just like that was the only thing I ever did was just race even when I rode for KTM I'd come home and I'd work in the wintertime and just like I don't sit around that well like me sitting around is like on a Sunday doesn't happen like I cannot sit around so I'm just always busy and I just I think that's what kind of helped me when I wasn't racing full-time or wasn't you know making the transition I was only doing I, mean, I think the first year I did three flat track races or something it was like I had schools and then work and just always staying active with something. So it was just, I think for me, that was just kind of uh, instilled in me at a young age, just knowing you had to stay busy all the time. And was it a big trigger to pull like the land? And did you always have a vision of having a property and doing stuff like that? Or was it just, it's, did you just fall into it? It's kind of back to that whole, that letter that I wrote when I was 13 years old. It was like, uh, in that thing I put, you know, I was going to, you know, teach people. I was going to do this. I was going to own a property by the time I'm, you know, mid twenties and have a training facility. Like literally wrote that in the paper. 
So I think it's like one of those things I didn't know I wrote that, like, you know, until my mom sent that to me just a couple of days ago. And I'm like, wow, I had that kind of, you know, you know, thought process back then, something that I wanted. <clears throat> I knew I wanted then. And it just, you know, just kind of started happening over these years. And, you know, it's a kind of that, you know, built that intuition of what I wanted and it just kind of ingrained in me and slowly worked towards it without even kind of really, really knowing I was working towards it over the years. That's cool. Yeah, it was pretty neat. That's wild. What about, so like you, obviously when did the supermoto thing, I think a lot of people forget because you've been, you've kind of like made a name for yourself as this flat track kind of guru with yeah. the coaching stuff. People forget how big uh, you were <laughs> in supermoto at the time because that was like a, it was a short period of time where Supermoto was like a really big and growing thing. And then it was kind of gone. So people forget really quick, obviously in racing, but yeah, everybody forgets last year. So. <laughs> Believe me, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, you know, what were those years like? Cause I mean, even, even I like we're, we're very good friends, but I, I don't know anything about <laughs> your Supermoto years. You know, I know you wrote for HMC and factory KTM, yep. which was Red Bull, I guess, right. It was Red, Red Bull, Bull KTM yeah. back then. Right. Yep. No, it was, it was, it was something like, it was pretty unique because uh, my birthday is July. So I got I signed a contract when I was 15 to go race. So, like, I couldn't race the first couple of races, but they already knew they wanted me. And it was, like, because I went the winter before <clears throat> and did, like, a little tryout, and I went pretty fast. We were at a track in Wisconsin, and I, like, set a 250 lap record, you know, like, the first day I was there. And they're like, holy shit, this kid can ride. And I was just balls out because i'm like <laughs> this is like one chance and you know i didn't know if the flat track thing was going to happen you know what i was going to go because my dad was like in and out of the sport you know racing he was just like yeah we'll do something i don't know and i was like i'm gonna make everything of this <laughs> so i rode so hard that i remember i remember that test and then uh <clears throat> i signed the contract at 15 did a couple amateur races um prior to that then i did my first race and um i think i got fourth or something and um, it was it was neat, but it was only like three races left of the season. The last race of the year was so so awesome. It was uh, downtown Reno. There's 55,000 people like hanging out of windows, parking garages. Like it was so sick, you know, through a back alley. <clears throat> the races were so big, and it was such like a party too. It was like you got done racing, and there was a party afterwards. Like it was <clears throat> just made you feel feel special, and it was like a really cool deal. And then the next year. Um, they put me up and I rode a, uh, unlimited bike. So it was like a 610. So I'm 16 years old on this, like <laughs> that's insane. 60 plus horsepower, supermoto bike at that time. <laughs> no electric starts. So you had to kickstart this Holy. thing. And, um, I was pretty tall. I was the same height I am now, like then 16. And I, uh, <clears throat> started having some really good races and like ended up winning that year. Uh, it was a big, big car track. It was a big oval and we get on the banking and I was actually the only person, well, Aaron Yates was actually there really? and he was dragging me on the banking and was like 10 miles fat 10 mile an hour faster than everybody on the banking. And I'm like, oh shit, I can do that. So I went out and I tried it. <clears throat> Same thing in my class, the Olympic class. I could just make up so much time on everybody. And I, uh, ended up winning that night and it was, it was cool because it was over guys like Mickey Diamond, Dave Baffalo was a French guy. You know, he, he was like a multi-time ice world champion over in, in France French and um, 
it was just like it was against some really epic people like you know, racing guys of like are on track or talking to hanging out with like jeff ward doug henry like all these legends of the sport i had no idea who jeff ward was like you know really <laughs> at, at 16 i had you know until i started you know looking it up because i followed motocross and stuff but i didn't know who, you know he was he was still older at that time and i'm racing all these ex-pro supercrossers and road racers and stuff and i'm just a young kid and same thing that night i remember uh when i won Mickey came off afterwards. He's like, dude, that's that was an amazing ride. He's like, you scared the shit out of me. He's like, <laughs> Sounds you, about right. You came out of turn four. It was like NASCAR banking coming onto the front straightaway. And I remember like road race style hanging off and just being like wide open because I'm leading and then things step sideways. And Mickey said he shut off the gas because he's like, you were just drifting right towards the wall. And like, he's like, you're going to, he thought he was going to hit, the, I was going to hit the wall. <laughs> so everybody like checked up and I, didn't obviously hit the wall and checked out and got a big gap and and held it and you know won my first race at 16 and i think it was like probably the one the youngest to win like an unlimited race or whatever for in the series and uh won that one and had a couple other good results and a couple you know a lot of podiums throughout my career and just raced some really cool places and that's like that's the biggest thing i miss about the sport is like you know i even at that age i didn't understand or appreciate some of these places i was going and the people i was around you know, but still to this date, I'm still friends with, you know, Jeff Ward and Doug Henry and see those guys and they know who I am and just know me as like that wild kid. But now, you know, they know me as the flat tracker and, you know, I got to work with Jeff Ward a little bit with flat track too. So it's just been the supermoto stuff definitely pioneered a lot for me. You know, it was like <clears throat> just built some really good relationships with some really good people. It was like for me, it was like the flat track kid went into the supercross side of things. So I met like, <clears throat> that's when Alex Dunson was with Monster. So I was like, when I came back to flat track, it was like, I had a Monster deal. I was like one of the first ones to bring Monster to like flat track. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of these other companies that just like, because I had the experience, you know, in an industry that was like a little higher up than the flat track, you know, scene of things. And I brought a lot of that with me throughout my career in different ways, you know, just and it, it, it's helped me with my flat track career, just kind of uniqueness of sponsorship opportunities or just connecting with people and, and having good relationships. So it was, it was definitely, it was definitely a highlight of my, my career, I would say, like at a young age, traveling the country. I remember, you know, I was 16 and I had the option to fly or, or I could save money and go with the truck driver. And <laughs> I went with the truck driver and I started traveling the country, you know, seeing the country and saving money just, um, but mainly just to, you know, see the country and, and know the ins and outs of like, how a semi works and how, how the race team functioned. And now, you know, 15 years later, I'm running race teams and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. it was like, I was kind of prepping myself back then. What, uh, so you were, went from basically being an amateur flat track to a factory supermoto rider. Was it like lucrative back then? Yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, I mean, I signed a half decent contract and then you'd win and it was like, <clears throat> you know, it wasn't massive, but it was like five grand at the time, you yeah. know, for a win. More than you were making as an amateur flat tracker. Yeah. And then, <laughs> And then some more bonuses and stuff. So, you know, the first, those three years were pretty good for me. Yeah. yeah. What was it like uh, coming back to flat track? Were you still racing flat track? So, well, what's crazy is, is like, I didn't realize that jump because I remember you were always like one or two classes up on yeah. dirt track. So like the race that always calls me out is, I think you crashed at it, but it's a, no, no, no. But there was this, do you remember that last amateur race we did? Um, in Florida, where yeah, it was super, yeah, we're super <laughs> sandy. 
Oh yeah. When this guy right he, yeah. <laughs> so this is the race I remember specifically about Johnny because he was incredibly fast. Where nobody was doing the stuff. This this was like a full on moto track for dirt trackers and we're kids and I'm even younger. So and I remember Johnny like sending it. But then I remember after that we didn't see you. So it's crazy that So I didn't even crash. <clears throat> I remember you were so loose yeah so what happened was i remember i got roosted and i put my head down and i like it squared the corner up and they had 55 gallon drums halfway in the track <laughs> yeah as the turn like the markers in the track so when i put my head down i squared the corner up too much i hit that the 55 gallon drum kicked me up over and did like a flying v superman and when i came down my collarbone hit the handlebar and broke my damn collarbone and i pull over i kind of lean up against the inside of the track and my dad comes over and I'm like, I broke my collarbone. He's like, what? Yeah, I broke my collarbone. And he, you know, wasn't the. Were you on a framer then too? Cause no, it would have been a, it would have been a KTM. I think it was on a KTM cause that's right when I signed my contract. Okay. And I would have had a, a KTM 450 or something. And, um. I remember cause that's like the last. That was the last flat track race I did. That makes like, that's crazy. Cause, yeah. and I don't know what happened. Maybe I was just stuck in my own world, but I don't rem really remember. Cause I tried supermoto as well a little bit, like in Canada and stuff like that. And I remember the races being super cool where yeah. I don't know, there was like the race in Canada where they had like, you jump the barge, like onto yep. it and then off. Yep, and, and, um, I remember going to a couple of the races and, but that's pretty wild how that transition was so quick for you. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like I rode motocross as a kid. You know, I rode in the woods every winter. I'd, I'd go with all the pro flat track guys from PA, and we'd just go ride in the woods. And I had such a, you know, kind of love for, you know, riding anything. Yeah. Know, whether it's snowing out, me and Jake Johnson, who's my brother-in-law, we would <clears throat> we would just get brand new wax, uh, CRF 150s. And if it was snowing, we just beat the crap out of them. If it was, you know, nice out, we'd prep the track and ride short track, ride little supercross track and just had a lot of you know always had fun so i think that played a big role in it but also a lot of people don't know like when i was 15 before i made the transition into supermoto my dad actually sent me and i did uh like a kevin swans road racing school hmm. and i also did fred i went out to vegas and did freddie spencer road racing school um he bought a um a hot bodies uh blake young remember blake young oh yeah like a hot bodies um like 600 and i did a weir a road race at vir <clears throat> and so i had like a little bit of pavement experience did you crash i didn't crash but Ooh. what happened was <laughs> what happened was well i did crash i had an SV6 <laughs> yeah, there issue. we go so i had next <laughs> we'll get back to that so my dad bought me a brand new sv650 one time and uh we bring it home and my driveway is like a paved driveway goes up and then it turns to stones so i'm like breaking the thing in Going up and down the driveway, go up the pave, getting on the brakes, getting into the stones, turning around, coming back down the hill. So I'm getting faster and faster. Sure enough, I was on the front brake a little too long, got in the stones, tucked it. Dude, when I crashed that thing, I didn't even try to pick it up. I ran as fast as I could to the woods. Because <laughs> I knew Big John. Dude. The real Big John. Yeah. Big John. Dude, he was big. He was tall. Yeah, six, I, six, five, I think the six, first six. time I met you or saw you, was Path Valley when I showed up because you always used to ride either that 150 or whatever the fuck you were riding. You would ride this tr this local track in Pennsylvania, and you used to just like ride up and down like that big, like quarry or whatever yeah, it was, it was side of a mountain. Yeah, and they used to have like all these cool little things like the slow race and stuff at Path Valley, and yep. um, 
yeah, it was wild when I first met you. I was like, it was we. There was always a saying like, John has always been wild, but like he's either winning or crashing. That's the same. Thing. <laughs> like, I love riding motorcycles, so it's like you know, my dad owned that track, so that's oh okay. Get up there early and it's just ride and climb. Everybody's like, can't take an extra one hundred top of the hill. Well, sure enough, I'd make it to the mountain. You know, <laughs> guys on four fifty, you know, back then two fifty, two strokes yeah. and stuff couldn't even make it up. So when did you actually start riding? Um, I was like five. I think we got a PW fifty. Sure enough, crashing into a fence. <laughs> um, it's a reoccurring theme of stuff. Yeah, so it's, it's, I already kind of knew that, but it's, it's getting worse. It does. It's just I push motorcycles to the limits. Oh, That's why it. I have a job with Runfield. It's just kind of pushing it to its limits, and R&D, I just baby. Yeah. So yeah, I was a horseback rider as a kid. Did some show. Really? Yeah, I rode horses. My that doesn't scare you at all. No. No. Which part? The one horsepower. Horses? Yeah. yeah. The one horsepower. No, just like. I don't know. Ah, so I, <laughs> I, I just got a PW, crashed, crashed in the fence, took the train wheels off then, you know, because I had the train wheels on and then caught a rock and just turned me. It wasn't my fault. You know, that <laughs> and then uh, kind of how I got into racing was we went to a local motocross race, a, this track, Pagoda, did a motocross race. My dad looked at the district book and he thought the next race was going to be a, flat, a motocross race and ended up being a flat track race. That's how I fell on the flat track. We met Jared Mees, realized that and Jared lived the two miles down the road on the same road. No way. Yeah, we lived on the same road. So <clears throat> that's kind of how I fell into flat track, and I'm kind of pissed that I did. I would probably <laughs> been a pretty good motocrosser if I just stuck with that. So what was that like? Because uh, Pennsylvania is kind of a hot spot for flat track, which is interesting because it's like every other motorsports, pretty much California or like Georgia, Florida, if you're going to be into, into motorcycle racing, yeah. except for flat track, Pennsylvania is the spot. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just it, – I. I wouldn't have known that growing up that, you know, not every area had, you know, 15 local pros that go to the pro races and make nationals and, you know, on given weekends you're riding at my house, you know, like that's how it was. Like I had that many pros and <clears throat> we had to track my house and they just kept showing up and riding. So that's kind of what elevated me to, you know, get pretty fast, pretty quick without my dad having any background in, in riding. So, um, but then the cool thing is that we had so many, we had such a wide variety of tracks in Pennsylvania. You know, we had cushion half miles, we had clay half miles, we had uh, clay short tracks, you know, TTs, you know, a local TT was only, you know, seven, eight minutes from my house. So we had so many tracks that were so available and they were good, you know, they're good tracks. They were good car tracks and good, good clay. And I learned how to ride a little bit of everything pretty quickly. I feel like it's got they've got some of the best half miles, like the dirt, for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah, we had some good ones. And then you a got lot of them are you got down. the biggest race of all, Timonium. Yeah, that's <laughs> concrete. I've even it's, been at Timonium. It's Timonium. <laughs> have you been there? Yeah. yeah, I've been there. Yeah. So I have. I'm the only person to ever go backwards in qualifying. So like they do a one lap qualifier deal, and it's been going on since like the 70s if not more. And I asked one guy, I walked up to like the main referee. I'm like, hey, when we go out, I'm just going to go to the right <laughs> <laughs> and just get everybody off guard. And dude, I had Wayne, this guy, Wayne Sobey, he's like the referee. I had him tripping. Like I'm ran my lap backwards and actually ran a pretty good lap time. And then, you know, they're all yelling at me and stuff. <laughs> and then Brett, Brett, this guy walks out and he's like, no, 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 it's fine. I told him it's okay. <laughs> That's my. Where'd you qualify? I probably would have been pretty good, but I waved it off. You waved it off. Yeah, so you have to. You get two chances, and oh. you know, I waved it off because I'm like, ah, it probably wasn't that good. And I think somebody said I ran like a seven, seven point three or something, and like 
a fast lap time of seven point one. That's isn't, that, isn't that like uh, see Texas spies? Oh. Like the king? Think you could beat him? Do we really need to talk? About <laughs> 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 oh, no, dude. No, it's gonna get into a Twitter. We beat. had some. We had some good races there. I mean, uh, it was either one. I usually either one Win or, or, Bennett, or just took out people <laughs> so hard. It's like it's seven second lap time around a concrete track, and it's you have tires are only marker to, to mark the track. So yeah. if you're not gonna make it, you just aim for the tire and just jump the tire and hope to. Hope yeah, you hit yeah. that guy harder than he's ready for. <laughs> it's insane. Um, yeah. Oh, your dad obviously like had a big part of getting you into racing, and then through that, like I, I didn't realize you guys had a track that you actually owned and whatnot. So what was that like? Yeah, we owned it, but it was so far away. We like it was like two and a half, three hours. So like we just could never get up there to actually get any extra practice or nothing. So it was uh, it was cool. It was one of those things where, as a kid, when he bought it when I was like eleven years old you know, for, for seven years until I was about 18, I thought, you know, the goal was like, Hey, I'm going to give this thing to you. Well, he sold it on my 17th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) So like I was a kid, like thinking I was going to have a racetrack and he sold it on my 17th birthday and then I didn't have a racetrack. So kind of have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder for that one. (laughs) Thanks dad. Sounds like it. What's uh, what's your relationship like with your dad now? Uh, we have peaks and valleys. You know, right now it's great. You know, we, uh, it was one of those deals where he was so behind my racing for so long. You know, we did everything. He, we had a plumbing business, so he could take time off, and my grandfather ran it. So we went everywhere we could go race. You know, we went to New York. We went to, you know, out Ohio to ride more cushion half miles or just race the fastest half-mile kids, um, do the amateur nationals, go to Florida. We just, you know, we traveled a bunch. He always made sure I had the best the best motorcycles. I mean, I... The year I won the Horizon Award for flat track, I think I had six motorcycles at the Amateur Nationals. We had like, they were, at that time, it was like 252 stroke. I had a framer, I had a stock frame. I had a 450, you know, framer, 450 stock frame, a Rotex, and a KTM like 505. So like, had all the best and had, always had to help. And kind of always, always made sure I had, you know, good stuff, good gear, look good. Maybe he made me like call my sponsors, you know, after you know even at like 12 years old call them thank them you know back when yeah people actually use phones (laughs) right um not just sending texts or emails and getting mad because nobody responds to you but it was like i actually called him thank him and uh he was really hard on me that way and like really hard with me racing like he wouldn't let me like play with the other kids you know it was like i was at the racetrack to race a motorcycle so i wasn't allowed to take a bicycle wasn't allowed to run around i raced motorcycles and he uh always reminded me how much money he was spending. So I was, but you know, now at the time I was like, man, this, this is horrible. Like is, you know, being 12 years old and be told like, man, I spent this much money and you crashed, you know, or, you know, if I did good, he was you know, obviously happy, but he was, he was tough on me. And at the time, obviously didn't like it. Um, but now I look back and like, man, he created something pretty good for me. The mindset that I have now, but the tough thing was when I, Got my factory KTM contract. You know, you think dad would be stoked, you know, sign a contract. He was like the opposite. He went like, oh, you don't need me anymore. Just you don't need my help. And from that day, I think he went to like four of my pro races. Wow. <clears throat> went from Even since then now? Yeah. Like went wow. to every single race, you know, wouldn't miss anything, you know, you know, drive all night long to get home, you know. You know, sit at the race, you know, an engine builder, make sure he got my bike done, you know, and 
bugged the shit out of the engine guy just to make sure I had the best stuff to turn around and literally just like, eh, you don't need me anymore and stop going racing. And it was pretty tough on me. Like as a, you know, I'm like, well, this is when I need you the most, you know, I need your guidance. Like, yes, you're not working on my bikes and this and that, but kind of needed his guidance. You know, I was a young, reckless, you know, <laughs> 16 year old kid at the super motor track. And now my mom's coming to the races and she's never got to go to the races because she was always home with my sisters or the animals they had and running a business. So now my mom's coming. Now she's like, you know, new to the whole thing. Yeah, and everybody knew Penny because she was blonde hair. And, you know, <laughs> everybody's like, you know, your mom's hot. I'm like, chill. <laughs> chill. Dang. So it, um, it was tough. So that was tough, like, you know, racing and then just not having them there. And I kind of, I overlooked it, I think, at that time. But now looking back, I'm like, man, I wish I had, you know, I wish I had them for certain things. Um, and then when the KTM thing ended and I kind of got back in the racing, it was like, <clears throat> I don't know what to do. Like, I had everything kind of handed to me with this KTM thing. And I asked for advice and he was like, ah, just quit racing and just go work. So he was never, never super uh, positive with the racing thing then. And I, but I also think it was just because he just, he loved me and he just wanted to keep me safe. I think he realized like, what did I get my kid into? You know, this stuff is, you know, is, is dangerous, you know? And I think that's as a father and I see it now as a father, <laughs> you know, it's like get my kid into stuff. I'm like, uh, you know, just kind of wait a little bit, but see how much I think like that's it. the emotions that he went through. And, um, you know, I don't hold anything against him there, but it's just, uh, he was tough. And so, you know, then I started working more, for him. even when I was riding for KTM at, at those years, I'd come back and I'd work, you know, just to learn and trade, you know, like I'm a, you know, pretty good plumber, you know, I can install AC units, I can build stuff, you know, and it was cool because at a young age, I, you know, continue to do that. And now to this point, I've built my own facility and can build stuff, build houses and he instilled a lot into me, but it also was, it was damn tough. It wasn't easy. You know, it's like James was bringing about the, the talk about my, and I crashed and I broke my collarbone. You know, I was factory KTM signed contract that year. <clears throat> you know, I was, wasn't old enough to race for KTM yet, but the whole ride home for 15 hours, he's just yelling at me saying, I ruined my career. My career's done, you know, this and that. And just because he was mentally just couldn't get over the fact that one, I got, just got hurt. You know, I'm, I got to go racing that year. Even though he was like over racing, he was still that dedicated to it and just like really thought like, he was just that worried about me getting hurt that it was, you know, could have messed up my career, but it still <clears throat> taunts me to this day, this day. Cause I remember riding <laughs> home 15 hours from Florida with a broken collarbone that I probably should have got fixed there. But he's like, threw me in the back of the truck. He's driving you home. And, you know, basically made my mom take me to the hospital and my <laughs> collarbones like barely sticking out of this, you know, almost sticking out of the skin. But it was, uh, that kind of stuff as, you know, as a father now, like I see how much, you know, um, how hard it is, you know, to, to watch, you know, ones you love do with something get really good at it, have so much passion about it. And then, you know, whether I got a ride or got hurt, it was, it's all emotion, you know? So you, I learned a lot from that, but I, at the times I didn't, didn't realize that. And you kind of sit back and you start to kind of think about all these things a little later in age. And, you know, it's kind of stuff that has now helped me as a coach, you know, it's really all this experiences I went through. I kind of look at it and go like, there was a reason why I went through all this stuff. There's yeah. a reason why I was reckless to make everybody else not reckless on motorcycles. <laughs> right. So like you say how hard it was. Now you work with a ton of like the young talent, right? That's kind of a lot of your thing is you work with a lot of good young riders and help develop that. Now are you working with, do you see that 
like do you try to stop that with like their parents oh, yeah. and yeah. try to say hey back up or even because you have your own kids yep. two kids and do you try not to do that there too or do you be hard on them like how do you yeah, balance no, that you it's, know uh, i i totally bring up everything to every parent if i see it it's i have no filter now you know because i i know what they need to do to make a little bit more success and i, I say hey like being hard on them is good but being too hard and doing this, doing this is like, I kind of definitely try to guide them the best I can. I mean, I've literally told people they just need to quit racing because they're going to destroy their relationship with their kid and this stuff's not worth it, you know, just because it was that bad. And they did like, it's, it, you know, it took my advice in a, in a way. It's like, you don't want to tell somebody that, but you know, you want to have a relationship with, you know, your kids or people you're around and, and for me, that those people are still really close to me because they're like, you, you were straight, you were honest to me. You know, there's no sugarcoating. You know, these people are out here riding motorcycles and it's, you know, you don't want to sugarcoat something. You want to be 100% honest all the time. And I think that's what <clears throat> kind of built my reputation up to is everybody knows that, you know, if they come to me, I'm going to tell them. Either Transparent. They, yeah, like they need to do this or this or it's really hard, hard for me to hold back and and not say something to, to every anybody. And uh yeah, the talent thing is tough. You know, it's like I have worked with a lot of a lot of kids now, a lot of parents and stuff. But it's like, and like the whole 450 class, that I've pretty much worked with. And now, like, dude, twin twins riders, I'm working with. I'm like, damn, I'm getting old. Like, you know, Dallas Daniels. <laughs> I've worked old. with you since got some he's Grays coming yeah. in here, John. Yeah, I worked with Dallas since he was 10, and now he's kicking yeah. my ass. Yeah, you know, it's like crazy. Is that cool for you, or is it like sad? It's cool. I, yeah. I, I don't have you stepped throughout over my career. Like I always joke about it. I'm like, I'm not really competitive against other people. I'm always competitive against myself. Hold on. I know my life. <laughs> Hold on. No, 2020 I know, Daytona. I, I know what I'm capable of. I'm a football player, of. big dog. Yeah. Don't worry about it. That's crazy. Um, would you, would you consider your dad like a moto dad? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, like, he was six five, and you could see him on the outside of the track. Like, dude, he had the biggest. Gotta, he had the talk about your dad right now. He just sounds scared. Dude, he had the <laughs> biggest, like, you know, burliest. If I have a, a beard, that's all I imagine yeah. him. I don't know what it actually looks like, but I just imagine. Dude, he's a lumberjack. Just, like yes. this guy, if you showed up, like if there's a trailer, it would opening scene, axe. <laughs> no, he, he was, and it's kind of funny because I'm wearing blue. I never wear blue jeans, but I'm out of clothes. I've been out here for two weeks. <laughs> but he's blue jean, black shirt, white. Pull-up socks. Red flannel. Uh, sometimes <laughs> dude, I'm just telling you right now, dude, you never wanted to get into a fight with Big Big John. Oh, or I've seen John, him at a fight. Big John was coming No, up. and he was, he was testy. Yeah. Like, we're spoiled. He's, we just... Well, Phil, Phil, Phil. Luckily, well, it's kind of funny because you talk about like all oh, having all the bikes, and it's like I've heard the same exact thing from Big Phil over here. Oh yeah, <laughs> every single bike known to man. Oh yeah, at amateur now. Hundred percent. I literally, it it's dirt track is a crazy thing. Like, and when you're going for it, it's it's crazy. I, when I went up for my Horizon Award, I lost it. And I mean, you got to race two. You got to race three classes. You had to have at the time you had to have a framer and a DTX rust. You lost everything if you couldn't ride a framer or at least have it ready. Um, so it's like two, four, six bikes yeah. plus backups. Like I remember, like crazy, we were in Illinois and they, we had two parking spots. We used to call it Illinois because <laughs> like, we used to have a little station, <laughs> right? You've heard it, and I mean, we were in the same boat. And it's funny you talk like that because my dad was pretty hard on me as well. But it's different. You know, like the phone calls and stuff about with sponsors, crazy enough, you, Rod Lake, 
you know, I called Rod Lake for money because everybody did. And Rod Lake, <laughs> Rod Lake told me to go into real estate. He'd pay, he'd pay for me to go to school in real estate and get out of racing. <laughs> like that was my phone call. So I get it. But that's funny. Here I am. Huh. Yeah. Um, obviously, you have two sisters, right? Mm-hmm. One married to. Jake Jake. Johnson. Yeah. Jersey Jake, Jersey Jake, <laughs> big dog for a long time. So your whole family yeah. is at the racetrack, obviously. Yes and no. Um, my little sister Jennifer really didn't come that often. Jody, when I was amateur, she was like my mom. She was at every race. She took care of me. Who my dad was off working on bikes and just you know she was the one that kind of for a long time. And then she met Jake and then she dumped me, <laughs> <laughs> kicked me to the curb. No more mom anymore. Um, yeah, so she was she was a big part of like I just remember always being at the races and obviously she was, you know, in love with Jake and, and <laughs> what's that like having a sister dating somebody you're racing against? Were you racing against no, Jake? I never, older, Jake right? was always older. Yeah, he's um Did he ever give you any advice? Like when you're I don't or, think so. I don't think Jake really gives advice. He's just yeah. Jake. He's just, you know super talented. Uh, super talented and uh just so mellow, chill, like there's no vice, you know, it's yeah. just we rode together a little bit, you know, like I said, we'd have 150s and we just thrash them. Like we, I remember one time we bought brand new 150s, <laughs> pulled them out. It's snowing. And we just literally off like full wide open through my dad's field, just tearing it up for hours in the snow. But no, it was, it was cool. Like obviously just all those guys were always around, you know, again, probably because he's my sister. <laughs> um, <laughs> Apparently your mom too. Yeah. Back then. Um, <laughs> But it was just, I always got advice from, you know, everybody. It's like, you know, in a way, you know, obviously if Jake wasn't telling me, Jake's so talented on a motorcycle, I'd just sit there and watch him, you know, like, you know, he would do stuff and, and he was so loose, just like letting the thing do it, you know, where Jared beat over and he's so precise and he's trying to beat Jake and he's trying to hit every mark where Jake's just letting the thing do its thing. And I remember one time it was Jody's prom, maybe, (laughs) and we're riding the day before, like, as before Jody's prom, Jake falls down. Jared's looking back, and Jared runs right into Jake's back and has a full, like, motocross tire mark on his back, like <laughs> skid marks. So Jake had to go to prom and wear, like, a, you know, dress shirt and then just being, like, so messed up. It was, it was like, that's the kind of stuff. I was always around the guys riding and always doing stupid stuff. And obviously... I was a younger of everybody, so I got instigated, and that's what kind of I think led into me being <laughs> the wild, restless guy that I am. And you tell me to hit something, I'd probably, you know, jump it off of something or try to go in the corner harder than somebody, just because I had those guys as my influences. Makes sense. Going back to like the the moto dad thing, what do you like? I always wonder. I didn't really have a moto dad kind of thing. My dad was always kind of just like, if you like riding, go ride. Yeah, if you fun. don't, I mean, we really didn't even race too much when I was like that young. I had Uncle Richie, you know, but he you wasn't, he wasn't the moto dad you had type Uncle Richie. <laughs> <laughs> he was a silent and deadly type, but would you prefer to have, like, going back, would you, would you, if you could pick it one way or the other, would you, would you have it the way you had it? Or yeah. would you, would you I think I, now for me, I think just seeing people go through careers and, and struggling with, you know, times of not having rides and doing stuff, it never really, like, never really stressed me out because I knew I always could do something. Like, and I think that was something that instilled in me for a long time is like, if I want to do it, I could figure it out. And I always seemed to find a way to figure it out. Like throughout my whole career, if I really want to do it, 
I'd make it happen. Like in some way, if I needed to make money, I'd scrap metal and have enough money <laughs> to go race. Like I never were just like gave up. And like, I think that's definitely something my dad instilled in me. And like to this day, like it's good and bad because like, then there's days I just, I can't sit still because that's how my dad is. Like he's just always building something or doing something. And so I don't, I don't think I would change it. I look at it though. And I see it because I'm that chill dad with my kids. Like, you know, I, I watch Max and ride or Clary ride and they're so like, like, holy shit, they actually can ride motorcycles, but I'm not going to tell them that because I'm not going to force it. You know, Maxon has, you know, Jack Sipes, Ryan Sipes' boy that comes over and rides. <clears throat> and Brian, uh, Ryan's like, Maxon, you want to ride? He's like, no, I'll, I'll work on the track or I'll watch him. <laughs> and I'll tell him what he's doing wrong. Like he's, he's like, sees me as a coach and he like already said, like, I'll be a coach when I get older. I'm like, that's pretty cool. And they're aware of what's going on. So like you jump on a bike and, you know, I don't even tell them <clears throat> what to do. They sit forward on the bike. They go in the corner to get their leg out. You know, the other day, Clary's riding her bicycle. She's like, Dad, you see me go around the corner of my bicycle? I'm like, no. She's like, I'm getting my leg out. Put my leg out. I'm pointing it to the inside. And, like, <laughs> they listen to everything I'm saying. So it's like I'm trying not to force it as, as a dad on any way because I think um, – I don't think I was forced because I think I actually loved riding motorcycles. Like, I just, you know, seen pictures the other day. Like, I had a – XR50 or, you know, uh, C CRF50. And I'd ride that thing every morning before the school bus. I'd do wheelies up and down the driveway. I'd make a little short track on the driveway. I just, it's all I did. So, like, you know, for, for me, Maxon's got other stuff he wants to do. And I'm kind of cool with it. You know, I'm kind of, I'm not saying allowing him to do other stuff, but he's in, like, kind of like a dance class. And I'm like, man, I wish I would have danced a little bit because it would actually <laughs> made me a better rider. Like there's little things that just moving bodies and doing things. I'm like, all right, you do that now. <clears throat> and then when he wants to ride, if he does, I think he naturally has it. So, yeah. That's cool. Well, if he's got like even 10% of what you have, you're a pretty talented guy. Yeah, thank you. So, thank you very much. yeah, <laughs> that's it though. <laughs> when you came back to, uh, when you came back to flat track from supermoto, my like opinion of flat track when I was, I don't know, it was probably even, you're pretty old, so that was probably before I even was around flat track at all, but as a road racer, just kind of walking through the paddock, uh, the vibe was very much like, what are you doing here kind of thing? Did you have to deal with that when you got back Yeah, from? I was, it was up and down for me because it was kind of the timing when we used to, everybody used to race framers, and that year I came back in like 09 kind of, um, they got rid of framers completely, and we were just all on DTX bikes, so I, not that I had an advantage, but I only thing I've been riding is a DTX bike for Supermoto, their dirt bike. And um, so a lot of guys were making the transition, getting back off of framers, riding DTX bikes, trying to figure them out. <clears throat> and um, yeah, my first pro race really was Daytona Short Track 2009. And uh, I skipped basically the pro sport class. You know, I didn't even, I didn't even do that. Um, so I went right to like the top class. So my first Daytona short track, it was the last time at that old, the old Daytona stadium. Yeah. And I actually went out and I qualified first. That's mm. So like it was a little blue groove and I just, I don't know, just the thing clicked and I could keep it on it and I went fast. And the problem was <clears throat> I went fast by myself, but around everybody, I did not have the idea of what I was doing with like <laughs> racecraft. That and, place um, was gnarly at know, night. I remember taking off the line and just, there was like a little drop on the back straightaway. You know, like they, they had the track build up and then the hay bales and it dropped down. <clears throat> and I don't know how he did it, but I remember 
J.R. Schnabel down in the, you know, kind of the ditch, popping up, taking the my bars out this way, and then Jethro Halbert taking my bars out this way, and I'm just going into turn three. I'm like, what am I doing right now? Because these guys were just, they were aggressive. And uh, <clears throat> I kind of joke now because it's like, you know, everybody's been kind of complaining about aggressiveness and this and that. I'm like, dude, I don't think people realize how aggressive it was, <clears throat> like, for a few years at least. Then I came back. It was... If you gave an inch, it was taken, you know, and now it's like you bump a guy, you get yelled at, you know, yeah. or you lean your head into him, you take him <laughs> out, you know. Dude, I was going take for a championship, <laughs> bro. I mean, I might have, you know, didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. But no, it's, uh, you know, it's just the, I came back and <clears throat> I struggled with making friends. Um, my my kind of rookie season, you know, I got into it with Cool Beth. Um, didn't he punch you? Or he- Later in my career. Um, I, say, I think I, I remember think I was that. There for that one. I think yeah. I, I think I remember that. Yeah. Um, did you have a helmet on too? I did. So. <laughs> I wasn't. Even, I was. I think it's on YouTube. Behind, so it wasn't, even, it wasn't even fair. <laughs> Where was that? That was a uh, Black Hills. No, no it, was it was Hagerstown, wasn't it? No, it was in. Um, I was there at the race. It was at Williams Grove. Williams oh, Grove. yeah, yeah. No, so I struggled to making friends because I was just again thrown in. I had talent. I just did not understand racecraft. You know, it's like. Didn't understand how to really flow with those guys and things, and I might have stuck it in places I should not have. It's an ongoing thing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> heard that about you before, yeah. Big happens. John. So, um, <laughs> but it was like I I ran into a lot of people, so I I definitely did not make friends and struggled with that, and uh, you know. But I think having a tough dad and just kind of brushing sh- you know stuff off and just going you know, whatever like. There's always next weekend. I don't need friends. I was going to go race. And, um, didn't have to do with taking anybody's girlfriends or anything like that either, uh, right? No, no, no. <laughs> we don't need to get into that. <laughs> but no, it's, uh, it's, it's some up and downs throughout my career, just, you know, trying to find that balance. Because throughout my career, I never, I never really solely had a, a real race program um, for like 10 years of racing. Coming back to flat track, it was, I got offered a ride, do this, do a couple of races, they run out of money. I do this, you know, <clears throat> I get hurt. Um, so, like, legitimately, I've never done a full, complete season in my racing career ever at flat track. Yeah. I've always, I mean, I talk to a lot of people about you uh, and just how talented you are, but that's one thing I've never really understood <clears throat> is how you've never been able to put it together for a for a full year because I think like you have the ability and the level to, to be like a championship winning guy and be like just like any of those other guys that are at the top but it just seems like for whatever reason you've never really been able to put the pieces together whether it's like like you said like injuries or just bad yeah, luck just, or whatever it was like early in my career it was just you know I put a deal together with uh, Mike Scott you know Tyler Scott's dad he owned a dealership and we kind of were the pioneers to kind of help you know with the Kawasaki like you know Bill Warner was doing one we were doing one you know, they were fast on the miles. I was getting faster and podiumed uh, on a Kawasaki at a half mile. I got second, you know, and felt really good that night. Also didn't make friends that night, but um, it was my brother. <laughs> I think I it was my brother-in-law and uh, Jake and, and Jared Mees. We just, we got into it heavily, you know, just because the... The, the Cowie was the Cowie was so different than the Harley. I remember you were going way up and so catching them because they were running around the top yeah, on the hogs. Yeah, to kind of keep their momentum yep. up, and I could flick the thing in and make up like I, 15 I bike this. lengths. I could slide in, pass them, 
get in the middle and I'd have to try to get the thing slowed down to turn. But at that point they had the momentum and they just run me straight into the wall, come off the corner. <clears throat> and like, I mean, like if I went and lifted, I would have been in the wall. They weren't, they were giving me no mercy. Um, that's another story, but I was able to outsmart them and uh, break check <laughs> them basically going in. They thought I was going to run hard <clears throat> and they turned it and, you know, I was able to like square them up and get away and end up second that night. But, um, you know, I, I doing good, you know, with Mike and, uh, you know, earlier in the season, we didn't have the money to go to the first race. So already I didn't do a full season, <clears throat> you know, we didn't have the money to go out to the first race and, you know, then we skipped a couple others that year. And then the next year was like, all right, we're, we're doing it. And that's the year I won Daytona short track <clears throat> the first night, the second night, Jared Meese cleaned me out after I finally made a good pass on him. <laughs> you know, I made a nice clean pass last lap going into three. He cleans me out. And he doesn't even win the race. He gets second. Good old Matt Wyman won that one. I can't believe it. Yeah. Full no. face helmet, chest dude. protector. Dude was insane. <laughs> it, was, it was good style. Dude, <laughs> insane. I still can't believe he won that race. Yeah, so then then we did Moose a couple care. more. And I was sitting third in the championships in the twins class. And um, the problem was, is I was getting all the sponsor money. I was <clears throat> working full time for my dad. So I was getting done at three. And I'd drive an hour and 15 minutes to Mike's shop after work almost every day <clears throat> work on the bikes work on the truck we were building a box truck up <clears throat> turn around drive home get back at like midnight one o'clock in the morning wake up at six go to work with my dad and uh <clears throat> go racing and that's kind of when like the series just had no money like there was you were making nothing like you would be you'd be fighting for a g-bar that's yeah, kind of how that thing like, started right if that yeah if that and there was just no money to be made. And I'm like, I couldn't do anymore. I was so burnt out. Like it wasn't even fun. Like, I'm just like, what is the point? Like, who cares if I get third, if I like, I'm doing all this work and I'm literally broke at the end of the year. Like, that's how I looked at it. Cause money was such a thing with my dad. You know, he always instilled that in me. And it's like, me and Mike started button heads. You know, I wanted to, I went to Hagerstown. It was the last race I did was Hagerstown, Maryland. And I felt like I could have won that day. And I should have won. And we were fighting on bike setup and I ended up fourth. I couldn't turn the thing. I couldn't do what I wanted. I ended up fourth, driving home. <clears throat> I was pissed off. And I basically called Mike and I was like, I quit. I'm done. I don't, this is not fun. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm sitting third in the championship and I just like gave it up. So you think that was, that's, do I, that's like a something that's occurred throughout your career in, in different situations like that? No, that was thing? probably the mace the main like one where i was like i gave up and i looking back i'm like you're a fucking idiot like <laughs> i was third in the championship we had miles we had good racetracks to go to and that could have been my you know kind of kick-started my my flat track career and i just gave up but i was just i was worn out and that's when i was like whatever i'll just do schools you know I'll make at that time i was making more money doing schools and what like, year that was like 2012 okay so that's when me and Hacker started doing more schools. I mean, we would get 24 people to come to a school, it seemed like. We had so many people because we had Jake, Coolbeth, myself, which then became kind of an issue because <laughs> I was also battling with those guys now and they just, they didn't like this, you know, even as my brother-in-law or whatever. Just, I was the new kid and I was mixing it up with those guys. And it was like my family wasn't getting along. Me and my sister weren't getting along because me and Jake were having issues and stuff like that on the track. And it was just like, that's not worth it. Like, I'm just going to walk away and just go do schools. 
So I did that. And then that year I went and did some supermoto stuff again and went over to Belgium and had a blast with that. That track looks sick. Yeah. Was it raining the that tent. year? Uh, or? No, that year was good. Is yeah. that the one with the asphalt? Uh, no, I wish. That's okay. in like Bulgaria. Yeah. So the uh, I remember you doing that in Europe. And those races still are packed every year. So that race, that year, there was 350 people trying to qualify for a 48-rider 48, 48 main event. That's, that's insane. And uh, I ended up 10th in, my, in that class. So that was like... Shit, I, love I miss Supermoto. So that was actually the next year, 2012, 13, is when I um, actually tried to bring Supermoto back. I worked with the guys from the East Coast, and we, we started, you know, kind of helped them get more races. We did some stuff. I, I did some pretty cool stuff with them. Like, we raced at an old music park, and I just, I you used my creativeness to, like, <clears throat> all right, we're going to do Supermoto schools. We're going to create this series. I still had a I had a good year. I did win a Supermoto championship. Nice. <laughs> My own championship. <laughs> Your own championship. You were the only guy racing. No, there was there was fast guys. We had Blake Wharton come out, super cross Blake that. Wharton. We had a couple that. other guys. I and, think I came and did one. Yeah, I smoked your ass too. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I'm like, man, I I mean I love Supermoto still to this day, but I had a blast doing that. And then that next year I got called from Triumph. Uh Joe Cop called me and was like, Hey, you wanna ride this thing? And I'm like, Yeah, sure. You know, he, he, he knew I was still good on a motorcycle and we went and tested and I'm like, man, this thing's not bad. We can make it work. And it was struggle. We broke a lot. And then, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a tough year. Like, you know, we had a couple promising times. I got, you know, won a couple heat races and got second to Brian Smith at like this mega miles, a mile and a quarter. It was massive, big cushion in Virginia. And then the thing blew up. So we broke a lot. <laughs> And, uh, you know, at that point, I started getting used to motorcycles breaking mm-hmm. and starting being okay with it. And, I, you know, stopped. I got frustrated a few times and then realized, like, hey, I'm getting paid. I'm developing a bike and it's part of it, you know. So I kind of started taking that role of, like, that's yeah, part of it. And then, unfortunately, that year, that would have been another year. I would have almost done a full season. <clears throat> I twisted my knee and uh, at a uh, load eye. Anchor bits uh-huh. ran into me and it ripped my knee back and... I did something to my knee and I had to miss two races. So I missed two races, you know, still again. So I did that season, but never did a full season because I got hurt. Um, at the end of that year, I was like, man, it was tough. Joe was tough to work with. You, you work with Joe. It's crazy. Is me and Joe are like, he was really, tight. he was really tough for me. I think it was because it was, he was just retired and he was trying to be the racer still in certain mm-hmm. ways. And it was just really tough. So, we butted heads a little bit. I didn't really like show him that I was frustrated, but it was just like he frustrated everybody else on the team, and I was like the middleman. So it was kind of tough. So <clears throat> that next year, I was like, I don't feel like doing it. So I didn't do it. I didn't race with him. I got offered, but I just didn't feel like dealing with that situation. Went back and did more schools again. The next year, I rode Walters KTM in a few selective races. You know, had a couple like Lima was good, right? Not or, Lime, it was the uh, Mega Mile game. There you go. I, sh- I remember that. I should have won thing. that thing again, and uh, the clutch went out. You know, it was like one of those deals where I, I'd, sh- I'd show up and I'm fast, you know? So it's crazy thing is through that and from there to now, whatever. But as I, uh, I have the record for the most different brands to put into AFT main events. So I literally just That's jump. a cool stat. It is, but it's also not. It means I just yeah. wrote a bunch of shit. Somebody <laughs> was like, hey, jump on this thing, ride yeah. this thing. And I, jo- I talk about it all the time in my schools, though. Like, every school I talk about, I'm like, yeah, 
you know, I have the, you know, kind of the record, you know, I don't even, sometimes I, I haven't even bring that up because it's not something I'm proud about, but <laughs> I'm like, Hey, I can jump on anything because, <laughs> because I can use the rear brake. You know, I talk about the rear brake and I'm like, all those motorcycles I rode, I just jumped on. And because I can control the rear brake, I can fix the suspension. I make the motorcycle handle and I could do good enough. So everybody could see that. I just show up and I'd ride that, <clears throat> ride a KTM Triumph. Then I jumped on Ducati and then it was like other brands. And then kind of when it was like, uh, you know, I needed that kickstart and I thought I was going to get my next ride was when the year the Indian came out <laughs> and then some guy called me out of the blue and was like, Hey, I got an Indian. It was like the first one that like besides factory riders had. And he's like, I got one and I want you to ride it. I'm like, all right, cool. He's like, and I was up doing school in like New Brunswick, Canada. And I had to like jump in my truck, drive straight back, jump in that other truck and drive right to Texas. It was like the next, it was like three days. So I go to Texas and I go out and ride around a thing around the parking lot. Man, this thing's slow. You know, it's like, it just didn't feel weird. It was the FTR 750. And I'm like, man, something's wrong. And they all laugh and they're like, no, that's how good the motor is. You know, it's that's smooth. <clears throat> so I go out and this is after riding a Ducati and KTM and a Triumph, all those other bikes. I go out and I qualify first. I'm like, holy shit. I know how to <laughs> ride and this thing's that good. And it's been a while, you know, since I jumped on a bike and just went out and qualified first. And we ended up <clears throat> getting third at night, past Brian Smith, last lap, you know, kind of went into turn one, bumped him a little bit, let him know I'm there. <laughs> yeah. He got a little nervous yeah. going into three, and I knew it, so he went low. <laughs> and I just went high, and, I, you know, just coming off of four, I squared him up and got him at the line. And I was like, yeah. And everybody was so stoked for me. Like, I mean, it was the first time in my, like, <clears throat> I feel like in my career that, like, the paddock was, like, actually happy for me. And it was kind of a, man, it's kind of rewarding. Like yeah. having, you know, everybody just generally stoked to see you back and you did good. And I made a clean pass and I beat the Indian guys. <laughs> they were mostly stoked about they that. Were. They were like, yeah, you did good. So you know, he, that, that question is like, who wouldn't you want behind you? This is this guy right here. <laughs> Big John. Big yeah. John. So then we go to the next race. I get asked to go to the last race of the year. It's out here in Paris, California. And same thing. I'm running second, you know, and uh, we made a wrong tire choice and tire heated up. We should have put an eight on. Everybody else put it. Uh, I put a five on. Everybody else put an eight on. And it got hot and like four laps to go. Briar got up the inside of me, hit me so hard, like, he did the same, but opposite, like hit me so hard. My head was like, boom, and just like ran me wide. He runs wide. It was like the stupidest move because it was a small little groove. I slipped wide, I ended up fifth. But it was still one of those deals. I'm like, shit, I can ride this thing and I can, I can chase down Jared Meese. You know, it's like I put myself in those situations. I'm like, I'm still that good. You know, I can do this. So that winter was, uh, I had a whole deal lined up. I was so pumped, I had, you know really good most made paycheck i was ever going to make lined up guy calls me yep it's gun deal two seconds later this other guy calls me he's like hey i got an ftr 750 you want to add it to your fleet of bikes i'm just going to give it to you <clears throat> sweet so i call the guy back and it's not even 15 it's not even like 50 to an hour 50 minutes to an hour later i call him hey i got another bike to add to the fleet nah sorry we had we hired somebody else it's like, you just called me and told me. He's like, yeah, I changed my mind. What? And I was like, what? And I was just like, <clears throat> didn't know what to say. I'm like, I was so high. Like, I, like mentally, that was the first time I, I ever been that excited about going racing. Like, and uh, literally in an hour, just <laughs> shot down. And I'm like, 
you know, how do you, how do you overcome some of this stuff sometimes? Like, you know, so many peaks and valleys and, and riding all these bikes and doing this and finally getting an offer, like a real one, like on the same motorcycle. Cause my whole career, I never really rode the same motorcycle as everybody. Yeah. You know, I rode a Kawasaki when everybody was riding a Harley. I rode, you know, Triumph when everybody else was still riding Harleys and some Kawasaki's and this and that. And never was like on the same motorcycle and felt like I was competitive and I could go after a championship and sh- within an hour, just, just <laughs> taken away, taken away. And that was, that was the time when I'm like, I was like, whatever, I'm F racing, I'm done. And then <clears throat> Nick Daniels called me cause I'd been helping Dallas at the time. He's like, no, you're going racing. You're taking that one guy's bike. I'll do whatever I got to do. He was working for Richie Morris at that time. He's like, dude, you're going racing. <clears throat> we'll figure something out. But I didn't have the FTR at that time. So I rode Richie Morris's like Kawasaki at Daytona short track doing good shock blows as <laughs> they tone a you know tta up on the banking all that kind of stuff and sure enough like you know i still having a great year i was in podium position i think and my shock blew so I'm like whatever so i went <clears throat> to the next race and we had the indian and i go out and i win my heat race you know so i'm like shit i got this sure enough it rains that night so now we have a day race and i ended up fifth or whatever and it was just just never caught a break. It just seemed like it was just, ne- just never could catch a break. And I never thought of it that way. And just mm-hmm. when you look back on him, like <clears throat> the opportunities I had and when things were clicking, literally just never caught a break. And it's just like, it was tough, but that's what mentally I feel like I look at it and I can joke about it now and I don't go, man, what if, what if? It's just, it's how the things were meant to be for me. And that's why I can give this information I do and, you know, work with, you know, I, I I usually don't talk about it much, but it's like working with Dallas and Nick brings it up all the time. He's like, you did so much for Dallas. And I pretty much did the opposite of what I did to get Alice, Dallas certain points in his career. And like, I am really proud of that. And I wouldn't take anything that I, all those hard times away to give like, you know, Dallas has put it all together more than I ever have. <clears throat> so I don't even think about those championships that I could have won or whatever, because my little brother, basically, Dallas, like, I think of him like, way well, he has done, he's done it. And I'm proud of him for that. And like, <clears throat> if that's what my role was going through all these challenges <laughs> to be able to feed somebody like him or all these other kids that I work with, that was my role. Like, and I'm, I'm okay with it. That's cool. Do you think if you, uh, at some point in there, like, uh, something came up to the point where you could have been on Briar's bike or Jared's bike, do you think you could have accomplished what you wanted to? Like, do you, do you feel like you I, have that in you like, to be the, one of those guys? I do. I, it's it's tough because I, I feel, you know, it's like I ride a dirt bike. I mean, I, I haven't rode with those guys, but I know how good I am on a dirt bike and who I ride with and my capabilities, whether it's in the woods or on a motocross track or a supermoto track, like, you know, riding supermoto pavement with you, like not after riding for a while. Like, I know how I can adapt to situations and I know I can apply it. It's just... um it's it's tough when you like you look at it and go, man, I wish I had the opportunity. I wish I was riding the same bike a certain certain days. Um, <clears throat> but then again, it's like, you know, it, it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it turns out for you, you're in a the problem with motorcycle racing is just not sustainable anymore, right? So even though you know you had all that shit kind of luck it allowed you to go do other things that now in the long run you're in a better spot where these guys are now facing kind of stuff you had to deal with a long time ago um so i i agree i mean i think that that's you learn how to build an ecosystem yeah Yeah. right you know 
So oh, for sure, it's and like right now, I think we can all agree that it's gonna get real tough, especially in AFT. Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of guys are <clears throat> looking for rides and trying to figure something out and trying to build it. And it's like I see it, and I feel bad, you know, just for the whole paddock because it's like I want everybody to do good. And finally, for once, I'm actually like, I, I wouldn't say high man on the titan pole as far as like you know yeah. uh, i don't know i have a good i have a great good deal. program you know i'm i'm in control of it <clears throat> i'm i can make the calls i'm getting a pretty nice paycheck i can create more opportunities for myself if i wanted to quit tomorrow i have a job with the company it's like they have offered me stuff <clears throat> so i feel like i'm in a good spot like i'm proud of it because it's going through all these these struggles and stuff, but it's like one of those deals where I'm like, <clears throat> now it's like the challenge is like I want to make this run field fast enough, you know, to to do it the job. Am I going to win a championship? Probably not, you know, on this thing. Is run field okay with that? Yeah, because they just want to be out there. But that's the cool thing is I can kind of I'm trying to build that and like you know create these opportunities and kind of get creative, you know, like flat track has now taken me <clears throat> worldwide, like to india did i ever think i was going to go to india did i even know where india was like, <laughs> I, didn't, I quit school in ninth grade yeah like, i literally i did ninth grade and then i quit after that like because i was a professional motorcycle racer you know back to ktm <laughs> yeah i quit and uh i didn't even know where india was until like i signed the deal and i'm like where's india i'm like oh i have to go to india <laughs> i'm like shit i have to fly over some countries that we you know think are really you know know that are really bad i'm like i don't whatever and uh but it's it's created these opportunities for me and it's like and i just keep seeing more you know it's like i almost don't have enough time in the day like it's like i want to do so much and the opportunity is there where i see other people it's like i can't create an opportunity i can't do this and it's like i'm kind of creating what i want you know when i want it how Mm -hmm. i want it in this opportunity right now and if it like tomorrow it changed i know certain things i would do now you know to to you know still create those opportunities because i went through those hard times and i know what i want and i know there's a little bit of balance in certain things in my my life so it's uh it's been been a journey yeah for sure that's nuts now going back with to like series in dallas a little bit um now also bringing in some of the bumping and stuff like that we've seen some calls and some stuff go down at a few races that uh, me personally i don't think is you know the right move like i think racing should be racing in some you know nobody wants to harm anybody but you know like one of the calls that i think in question is the dallas bruner call yeah you know you don't have to say how you feel about it but like dallas agrees like to wake up and see him you know like he didn't i don't think he would have never thought that's what how it would have happened yeah that's not it wasn't your typical thing so i think there's definitely it's interesting how calls are being made right now. The people that are running flat track, you know, didn't watch it, you know, years ago, you know. Yeah. There's certain people that <clears throat> respect levels and things is just, is is different than these, like, back in, I feel like, the early 2000s, like, when I kind of first got in the flat track and <clears throat> stuff was happening, it's like, guys that were running it, even though if they, they didn't do a great job, as far as certain aspects, they were ex racers that understood like certain passes and opportunities and how things went. And I just feel like it's not there. I think that's kind of the lacking part. And, but it's, you know, obviously we're, they're trying to keep people safe, but it's also like they're putting us in those situations. They're racing like Springfield short track. track, you know, like 
It's the I last lap. I remember getting booted off that track. Yeah. Like, you know, like if I, I probably should have crashed, but I got hit so hard and I still saved it. But like I was in seventh place. So like nobody saw it. Like a barn burner. Like yeah. you're, you know, it's supposed to. So yeah, I think that's definitely something, you know, a little bit in question. The Briar Jared thing, maybe too, I think it's a little bit, but you know, not going into specifics, but, um, like obviously the Indian bringing coming in and the series getting a bunch of money and people ma- finally making a lot of money. You know, you had Indian in the top ten, essentially making enough contingency to race motorcycles professionally. Yep. Some making it very good, some less. People on Harley making money to see it kind of go away again. Um, what are your thoughts on how things are progressing? And you know, I know how I feel. I feel like we're gonna be all back in vans and homemade motorcycles instead of carbon fiber and this that and the other do you think that's the right way for dirt track and do you really have a comment on it you know you've got royal enfield you've got all these manufacturers are now kind of leaving is that you know how do you how do you keep dirt track how do you keep everybody in like is that something you think about or i do i think about all the time because what i see is with some of that you know they're so reliant on indians money and this and that it was kind of like when we raced Supermoto, you know, it was such a high because Red Bull was just dumping money into it. And when Red Bull pulled out, there was nothing, you know, like there was no money for the series to happen. <clears throat> and then the sport just went away. Like, you know, Supermoto went away because of one sponsor pulled out. India came in and like <clears throat> brought a lot to the table. You know, they were sponsoring races, you know, for the, sponsoring the series, sponsoring races, sponsoring riders, contingencies. It was like they dumped a bunch and it was good for those three years. And, you know, what was the, the, the quote the other day? It was like, hard times create hard people. You know, like that whole thing, it's like, good times create weak people. Weak people. It was good times and you didn't have to think about, you didn't have to be going above and beyond the sponsors. You didn't have to be, you know, for those guys. It was a gravy they, train. They were happy enough. And not saying that because I don't know everybody personally. I just see it that way, that like, now it's all taken away and it's like well you missed all these times you could have been making calls and trying to be a little bit better maybe not burn i'm not really talking about anybody in particular it's just like if you burned an opportunity that opportunity is gone yeah and like if it's good it's good it's good and then like that happens like it's it's tough to see but it's one of those deals where you know i I think some of the opportunities went away because you weren't people weren't staying up with trying to be their best mm-hmm. on certain all aspects, and I kind of realized that for me, like I had a pretty good career, like all these races and opportunities, because I never burned anybody. Like I kept everybody happy. I thanked them over and over again. I was super appreciative. <clears throat> anybody would, if I called anybody, even to this day, I probably could get on a bike to ride. If I needed a bike for a weekend, somebody would probably give me a bike even if I rode from before or not, like I just always had these nice relationships with somebody. I see it now where certain people have, you know, treated me a certain way because I was a racer. Maybe I was aggressive. Maybe I wasn't in the click and all this kind of stuff. And now I have opportunities to give back. And it's like, you know, yeah, you remember that time you might've yeah. said something about me yeah. or whatever. It's not that I'll hold that against anybody or something, but I just kind of see that. And like, it's in all sports, you know, like, after being around certain people and talking to certain people, whether it's motocross or GNC off-road or, you know, because I became good with friends with like Ryan Sipes and we talk about all their, you know, disciplines and stuff. And then watching road racing, it's, 
it's all how you treat people and <clears throat> those opportunities can go away like that and i've dealt with that and i've seen that even with that guy taking that ride away i never once really said anything bad <clears throat> most people don't even know the story because i didn't talk about it mm-hmm. it's kind of like all right who was it uh that was the cool Beth team oh yeah so you know, maybe I had a little chip on my shoulder when I might have bumped into Cool Beth a little too hard at the race and he didn't turn around and punch me in the back of the head. But <laughs> Okay. I was like, yeah, I'm in like a wrecking ball. All right. <laughs> and I did. I think I took out like five people. <laughs> Whoops. Dude, I remember that. Like kind of staying on, I just want to stay on the AFT thing a little bit. Um, it, it, all these new bikes, new technology – has come to the forefront, yeah. right? Racing's gotten extremely fast in dirt track. Track prep hasn't really <laughs> stayed with the times, you know, especially now. Yeah. I mean, we've gone some from really good tracks. Um, even when I came back, there were some amazing tracks, like the year of COVID. All those half miles were decent at night they yep. developed a really good a lot of it had a lot of rain yep. um you know what do you think COVID calls green no but I'm like joking. during the covid we only raced half yeah, miles mainly we didn't race a lot of miles so it was like kind of like a half mile year yeah it was really good for the harley um you know what do you think like is going on with you know this year let's just be real the tracks have fucking sucked yeah like everywhere no, they didn't. Like everywhere. <laughs> like watching on TV, and they I'm, suck. I'm, you know, for me, I have a lot of, uh, I've been a track prep guy. You know, I work on tracks everywhere I go. <clears throat> and then I've been hired to work for AFT. And I've been there and I've like seen how there's so many chefs in the kitchen. And, you know, think back at um, <clears throat> Texas the year. Um, I did the track prep at Texas and then I did the uh, Wild Horse track. I helped with that, that big TT. But Texas, that place was sick. Yeah, Texas though, it rained. You couldn't drive a vehicle on it. It was so soft. So basically, it was like <clears throat> I came to them and said, "Hey, we have to do it this way. Like we have to basically get it as smooth as possible, let it bake and get hard." And it's like you think of Play-Doh. You know, Play-Doh. If you leave out, the top gets hard, and you know you can't put your finger in it. So I was like, "That's what we have to do." <clears throat> if we watered it, it's just going to soften it up, and then it's going to get rough again. I said, but at nighttime, <clears throat> I said, it might suck during the day a little bit, but we get it hard. At nighttime, the moisture will come up. There's so much moisture, and it'll be, it'll be epic. So I've spent, like, hours rolling that track on a roller, just packing in, getting in smooth, working from the top down. Like, I understand, you know, what a rider wants. You know, when I'm wheel packing the track, I make sure there's not a line in the track. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> a lot of times we go to these tracks, they wheel pack, and they don't – the guys running the cars don't know how important it is. Like, they're car guys, and they'll – just put a big rut in it. So I like worked at it, worked at it, worked at it and everything's going good. <clears throat> and then it was getting a little dusty. So I, I said, Hey, like, let's just, you know, I hate the sweeper, but I said, let's sweep the one part of the track. <clears throat> as soon as the lights come down, the moisture is going to come up. So they were like, Nope, we don't have time. So then there was a crash because they didn't sweep the one part of the track and there was a crash. And then Cole Zabala crashed. You know, whatever. Yeah. Normal. Happens. So we then, we were sitting in delay, and <clears throat> there's a couple people yelling down, we need to water the track. We need to water the track. I'm like, you cannot water the track. It's going to get rough. And basically, they mandatory made us water the track. <clears throat> the super twins go out. The track got super rough, super quick. And then I had to go fix it. 
you know, because then I we had a wheel packet and get it going again. <clears throat> then, you know, we, we, we waited. Track got hard. Moisture come up. Track was the best track of the year. Like, she even, like, they sent me texts from, like, Shayna and all these people that, <clears throat> you know, usually are pretty critics on certain tracks and stuff. That was the best track of the year, blah, blah, blah. You know, tell Johnny he did a good job. You know, they, it was cool that, like, they wrote to them and said, like, hey, tell him a good job. But it was one of those deals, like, they didn't know the backside of, like, how much backlash we were getting the whole time. And there were so many chefs saying stuff. And one was Michael Locke, and he, he doesn't know how to prep a track. And he's saying, water the track. And I'm, we're just like, no. And he's like, I'm the boss. And it was like, okay, we'll water the track. This is what's <laughs> going to happen. So it's like, it's kind of like finding those roles for certain people. Like last a, year, they balance. did. Last year, you know, they brought Smith in. They thought that, you know, it was going to be something to do with the track. <clears throat> I don't know what his role was in certain things, but it was like they can never come to an agreement on anything. And I know a little bit too much, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. don't want to piss them off, but it was like they just never had, you know, complete communication. They didn't have a process, it seemed like. <clears throat> it was like when we got to Lacomia, you know. Yeah. The inside of the tracks flooded out, and they're like, well, we couldn't dig a trench because, you know, they knew the rain was coming, but they're like, oh, we couldn't dig, dig a trench because <clears> – <throat> We couldn't mess up the infield of the track. The track wouldn't allow us. I was like, well, when you went and looked at the track, you should have seen that, and you should have said, well, we're not coming there to race motorcycles. If we get a chance of rain, this place is going to flood, and it's not going to be a usable track. That's kind of stuff that, like, <clears throat> me as a promoter or a track guy would see right away, and if they had somebody, you know, religiously, the same person, we'd go, yeah, this is the reason why we can't run here. If it rains or this situation or this situation, you point them out right away. Yeah, not I feel try, like not trying to deal with it the day of it after it rains. Go well. We told them if it rained, this was going to happen. It's like, well, then you tell me you're not coming there. You figure out a different solution. Yeah, I feel like you know road racing is kind of. I mean, the hard part is like you. Everyone looks like MotoGP or like you know FIM, Erda, Dorn, like these guys, and there's so there's so much money behind it, you know. But it would just take really one guy who's not a promoter or an advertiser or whatever either has raced or not to go and check it out. Yeah, I mean, I love I love everybody that works at AFT. And 100%. It's like they had a, a Supercross guy the last couple of years as a track prep guy. Like, he yeah. built Supercross tracks. They're like, oh, well, he can work with dirt. It's not the same. Like, yeah. Like, it's uh, building, a, I can prep a motocross track pretty good. I can bake a jump pretty good. It only has to be so good because we're riding obvious. <clears throat> we're riding twins with flat track tires and the speeds and all this stuff. It has yeah. to be perfect. Like you can't have one slick spot. You can't have, you know, you can't just fill in a hole and think it's going to be good. It just gets taken right it's, out. You got to, there's a process behind it. And like, I think that's been the toughest thing the last few years is just <clears throat> a continuous guy. And then we go to these certain tracks that, well, they prep the track and this guy preps the track and this and that. So it makes it a little tough even for them because it's like, well, they have a track prep guy. And then now it's two different people. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to somebody. I was like, I wish they only had 10 races and 10 yeah. good races that right. they controlled, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it was all done and it was managed that way. I mean, instead of it's crazy. Races. Like now that I've done the select rounds with Wally last year, um, I don't know if I'll ever do a full season ever again. Yeah. Like doing uh, Kentucky, Springfield. Like, I might just be a mile guy and, you know, go to, like, uh, Port Royal and some of them tracks that I know that are good. Yeah. They've got some good tackiness and we can do well at. But also that 
they're pretty safe. Like they're pretty, it's pretty hard to fuck up kind of deal. You know, like all those tracks are pretty banging. Um, and I'll be honest, like after doing the Wally thing, I'm like, like, I want to go to Lima, even though the track is so sick and it's so sick, probably on that KTM hanging it out. But it's like, I should just wreck shit, oh, yeah. you know? And like some it. of these other tracks that just get smoked, it's, uh, I think I've, you know, maybe drank the champagne a little bit too much now and I like <laughs> to be clean. I'm sick of cleaning my fucking boots. I know, I felt shit. like, I felt like the dirty guy here this week. <laughs> Dude's taking his shoes in. off. I take the, the shoes off to come up to the, the, the lounge. She's like, you don't take your shoes off. I'm like, no, I do. I was playing in dirt all day. I'm not a, being a road racer. I'm not a road racer at a road racer facility. I'm a dirt sorry, guy. Sorry, so, guy. I mean, so like last thing before we, I, I know kind of harping on this, but like, do you think there's a big divide? I mean, I, honestly, there is. Like, how do we, there feels like there's a big divide between riders and say the series now how do we get that back and get kind of a flow you're never going to have it perfect right because like at some level it's just you know black and white it's yeah. you know it's <clears throat> oil and fucking i don't even know I don't, it's it's tough because i've <laughs> i've tried to been a promo, i've tried to be a promoter you know at races and stuff and i see how everybody has an opinion everybody has something to say now it's even worse because of social media Amplified. It amplifies just on certain things. <clears throat> and then, you know, everybody can contact everybody at a certain time. So Jeremy's can be texting Brian Smith on race day and getting insight or doing this. Not saying he does. Yeah. But it's it's, it's already available. available. And it makes it just like <clears throat> it's tough to know who to trust, you know, with certain things. And it's like same thing with all the riders. Like it's tough to know where everybody's at, you know, mm -hmm. with certain things. Like <clears throat> nobody seems happy at the track. It you just kind of, it's weird because like in the paddock itself, everybody's probably the closest they've ever been. Like as far as what I mean by riders, are, more riders now are buddies than I feel like there's ever been. Yeah, you know, everyone's, well, I mean, everybody wants to come to your track. You just charge too much. But <laughs> the, like um, free so <laughs> just messing John. But like, James still hasn't forgotten that one time he made him rent that husky from him yeah that was a rebirth <laughs> of his career 100 so it was worth the 150 bucks that i charged him yeah it was it was okay that was a good time Gotta actually play, and then he beat the shit out of it robbie bobby white husky, dude white husky at a red nasty track i took care of that thing but <laughs> it's like standards. you know how do you like i feel like everybody's as close as they've been as a riders the series is close as they've been you know but it's there's it's just a wall and i don't, I don't know how you fix that yeah it's I mean, like i don't know either it's do like, they have I, to be i mean i i always go to bsb you know i think i don't know i feel like Stuart Higg does a really good job um over there on making calls by the book yeah there's no like it doesn't matter who you are shaky burn bradley ray you know valentina rossi you know you do something dude you're disqualified yeah like i don't give a fuck what who you are and i feel like there's you know, we don't have that backbone guy. Whereas like Higgs, I feel like doesn't care if you don't like him, but everyone kind of respects him yeah. because he makes the call, whether you're Honda, Yamaha, whoever. And I, I feel like we don't have that in dirt track yeah. at the moment, even though we've got so many good guys. Like I've known all those guys since I was, you know, <clears throat> super little. Right. So it's, it's tough, but how do we, it's all about trying to make the sport better. Right. Yeah. So no, it is. It's tough. Cause it's like, you know, flat track, such a loose, loose racing. So there's so many variables. Yeah, the ways of, you know, tracks and situations and holes and the speeds and like road racing is pretty. You get a lot of the same scenarios that happen, 
flat track, it seems like every weekend it's something different. And it's yeah. because one weekend there's a saucer on the track in the middle of the track to make you ride here. You know, it's like the Bruner thing, you know, just going back to it. Like, well, they had a saucer out so far on the track and like the way you want to cross the track, like if it was a hay bale, you couldn't, you couldn't hit it. Like yeah. you couldn't, Dallas couldn't have done that because there was a saucer and it's like, okay, don't go across this saucer. Don't do this. It just like makes it tough because there's so many variables, all these different tracks. <clears throat> that's hard to make those calls. It's really hard. And then yeah. it's like hard to also then race hard because like then you're like on eggshells, like ah, what if I do this? And it's like, what's going to happen? You yeah. don't know. And it's like, it's tough. I think the flat track thing should just be a bunch of outlaws like it used to be. I mean, because <laughs> like want, you look at Supercross. If you don't want to be an outlaw, don't be an outlaw. Don't be a part of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I mean like you Go look at Supercross and you rarely, I mean, maybe this year they just started like probation and penalties and fines and stuff like i mean they've had it before but i mean supercross is pretty gnarly you know when it comes to passing i mean yeah i mean the block passes i feel like they also did get away with it more back then and yeah that made it exciting i mean like there was also a level of respect built you know based off of how they passed how they raised you know you look at stewart and chad reed and all those you know they had a rivalry they they rode hard and I don't think they got penalized back then for it. Yeah. You know, as much. now it's like pretty crazy. Like Barsha got penalized and then. And then I just saw since Rilla tweeted today, he got penalized for being. For being I think that's insane. My favorite thing is he's like, I'm just trying to get ahead of this. <laughs> <laughs> like $1,000 fine for peeing outside the porta potty yeah, right before tough. the race, you know? Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't get it. You know, it's like, I, I'm, I probably have, you know, obviously different views on it because I'll race anybody hard. Yeah. <laughs> obviously and um <laughs> i mean you're but, but your intention is never to hurt anybody no it's just i want to race as you want to win as I can. like it's yeah. just i'm gonna go in trusting that i can handle the situation and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out and i'm i just grew up getting knocked down so many times <clears throat> and just being used to it that's like yeah. it's hard so it's kind of tough to see like obviously we want to race i think it's tough that everybody's but you know <clears throat> really good friends and hanging out with each other too because you know it's almost like it then creates gangs, you know, if something does happen, it's like, you know, like for <laughs> me, it, it's, 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 you know, it's like, I'm like, man, if I run into somebody, I have nobody, none of these guys backing nobody me got up. got my back? Yeah. Call me, I got your back. It's like, <laughs> but if like, you know, somebody bumps into somebody and something happens, like, ah, oh, no, it's cool. Like, you know, everybody thinks it's cool. Then it's cool. Then, you know, Kevin at AFT is like, ah, it's cool. But if yeah. Giant does something and Giant doesn't have 10 people behind him going, eh, it was all right. It was an all right pass. It could take... <clears throat> two people that doesn't like somebody. Yeah. I don't know. It's tough. I guess it's always probably been that way, but it just seems like it's a little bit more. And now there's cameras everywhere. Everybody's got every, every angle, every view. <clears throat> so it's like, Can't hide. it feels like you're racing on it. It's also shows. tough too. Like I, it was pretty interesting. We were, uh, I was listening to gypsy tales with Barsha on the way down here. And that was one of the things he talked about was, uh, like how, how difficult it is. Like with the Anderson thing with him, like he cleaned him out got this whole big thing about it was all this backlash but then you go to the next race and supercross is blasting it across the big screen yeah so it's like yeah i just paid this huge fine but then you guys are gonna go make a shitload of money off promoting it and it's like i feel like all the series are doing it's that every, it's everything like, and it's everybody like, what do you want, want, do you want it. the action or do you not yeah. they want the drama well, it's like, cool but like punch me in the back of the head like they played that so many times <laughs> it's like i get it like 
We should have got it and put it up here. Yeah, it I feel like F1 does it the and best. They told me to go back to my yeah. sugar shack and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> no. I'm like, That's what amazing. the hell is a sugar shack? That's amazing. That's so good. It King of Cools. It was a good time. Lost is cool, he said. That's a good tagline. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. Like I, I did the flat track thing with you, obviously, which was it was terrifying. I sucked at it, but it was still it didn't it was, suck, dude. Sturgis, Buffalo Chip, Sturgis. my dog. Made the main dude. dude, if you would have just got that start, I know, I know. But either way, I mean, it's it seems like a hard thing combat how dangerous it is as well part of it you know i think i talked about at the school like you know even today and other times it's like i try to get people not to you know they have to look where they're going because with flat track if you look what's around you it's It's terrifying terrifying and it's like i've blocked it out you know it's like I know the risk. I know what I'm doing. It's the sport. It's the tracks we go to. It's like <clears throat> they're not going to rebuild 15 new tracks to make them super safe. It's <clears throat> it's a wild, wild sport they're in. I Especially t- where we're riding at now. <clears throat> I know. And I remember taking the – it was cool. I took Blake Baggett to a, super, uh, to a flat track race in Florida, just an outlaw race. And it was uh, Lake oh. City. Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, there's a concrete wall around the whole, the whole thing. And, uh, you know, Supercross guy walks up, and he's like, fuck that you know and like two seconds later a kid on 250 slides out goes in the bales crashes picks himself back up he's like this stuff's insane i'm like well what you do is insane like you're whipping it over 65 75 foot triples and going 20 feet in the air like it's pretty wild he's like no dude like this is this is (laughs) insane like what you're doing and i think it's it's obviously a perspective you know i i think i think driving on the road's crazy scary you know, yeah like i you know i gotta jump in the truck tomorrow morning and drive back to florida and it's like <clears throat> i'm more scared to do that than ride around a racetrack mm-hmm. yeah i guess my question is what do you think is there anything that they could do different or could be done differently like obviously you're teaching people how to do this sport so it's kind of like i always think about that it's hard to you take some kind of responsibility yeah. right because you're like introducing people to this thing and obviously you love it you want people to love it as well, but it's, you also know inherently they're putting themselves at this Something risk. There. Like the tracks you teach at, things like that, are not the same tracks you're going racing at. There's most of the time, right? So I try to make it as safe as I can, but I also I <clears throat> I talk about those variables and I try to explain it in the sense of try to make them the safest riders obviously I can to, if they're in that situation. And it's like it's tough, you know. Like uh, you know, I look like I said, I look at Dallas as my own kid. Like he's like a little brother to me, you know, or a kid. You know, it's like. I was his mechanic in 2018 before I did that Indian thing. I was actually his mechanic his rookie season or the second year, something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I remember. I was his mechanic. Yeah, Lima. Right, was his debut? Yeah, Lima. Yep. He won Peoria. I cried. Yep. You know, like <laughs> I literally cried because I was so happy for him, kid. But when he got out on the track for the first time, and I was just thinking about this because Brian Deegan was just posted something about it, like how terrifying it was see his kid out there, you know, like finally be out there on the track with all those guys, the big jumps, knowing the risk. <clears throat> and it's like Dallas was one of the first guys that I like sat back and I'm like, wow, like, like, cause I was watching like a hawk. <clears throat> I was worried anything fall off his bike. I became that mechanic, but I became like the coach and I'm just like, yeah. Hey Dallas, why don't you ride this line? Instead of that line that's all the way top of the track, I'll make your bike work down there. You know, <laughs> like don't go up there. Um, 
it's it's tough to see and it's because you know it but it's like that's why you just you got to be 100 percent focused when you're you're in it and those variables are there no matter how you look at it you know the, the odd shit that can happen just going down a straightaway on a super bike well, you have a front you have a front brake and one bolt can come out and that's a whole different variable you know like something bad can happen in a straight line and so it's like <clears throat> just trying to be as prepared as you can and like that's why for me you know like I feel like I have a lot of knowledge and with with not just the racing aspect but the mental side of things going through all these challenges and stuff and I try to literally talk about a little bit of everything in my school even if the slide school the guys really don't need to know the mental side of thing I just yeah. throw it in there just to, because it's like it makes me feel better that I'm like hey you know how risky this stuff is and how dangerous this is that's why you don't look here and you do this and I I don't really sugarcoat it either I bring up some like some people are probably like, you probably shouldn't say that. I'm like, no, I'm going to say it because they need to hear it. Like, chill out. Like, stop riding like an asshole. Like, calm down. <laughs> this is bad. Mm -hmm. We need to, like, relax because this, this, this can happen. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I did it. That <clears throat> there was, like, uh, not any of the road race guys, some random guy that came into the school was just loose. And I'm like. Rich Melman. I'm probably, no, <laughs> I'm like, I'm probably gonna have to stop you. Like if you don't calm down, we have that talk with him every time he goes out on the road race. <laughs> no, it wasn't one. It was no road race guy. So you're good. But Dude, it's just, just like, loves it. It just, you know, reminding, you know, I just, I try not to sugarcoat that either. And just, you know, it's, it's dangerous. So there's really, I feel like as a sport, the only thing you can do is make the track better. What, what happens if you make the track better? They go faster, go faster on the track, yep. you know? Mm -hmm. So there's really, to me, there's nothing you can really do. It's part of racing. Yeah. It's it's what we do. Yeah, to going back and talking about um, you know, the Dallas thing, how your first race, it was kinda like when I came back and I was in Europe, I came back to watch Wells at Daytona when he won. And I remember like in the circle just doing circles, like till I was dizzy, just like, Come on, let's do it. And it was it's weird feeling that. Um, kind of bringing that up. Wellsy is you, your teammate. Did people know that? Not yet. Oh. My bad. No, that's good. Okay. I was gonna go there next. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. Well, yeah, we put Wellsy on the bike. So, what's that? What was that decision like, and how did that kind of come about? Because he's kind of had a little bit of a rough road here lately. Um, we all know he's one of the most talented riders. I think yeah. personally, I think no. he's one of, if not one of the most talented riders up there with Briar with you guys, and um, he does things on a motorcycle that I I look at and go, dude, that's crazy. But kind of had a little bit of a rough road. What was the thought process on trying to bring him bring him on board as your teammate? I think that's and pretty much it. Like I've been in a situation. He's always been respectful to me. You know, always like thanked me for mm -hmm. like the stuff I did training with, you know, like working with him as a young kid. Like I've worked with him a bunch, you know, with the Ride Academy days and he's always asked for advice. And he's, you know, when he rode for Essison, I was helping him that year a little bit too. And uh, I know the talent that he has. And it's like, I know he's capable of it, you know, and it's like, I felt the opportunity was, was needed. You know, it was like, it was me granting that, that, that wish, you know, for somebody that needed that the second chance, yeah, maybe. second chance. Cause I've been there and I've, I've won it. And he, he wanted it. You know, he's like, I want it. Like, I don't care. I won't get, I don't care if I get paid. I will I want to do this. Like <clears throat> I, I want this opportunity and I want to work hard for you. And I want to be, you know, I want to learn from you. And it's like, you know, he could be just saying stuff to make me feel good. <laughs> I don't, well, he doesn't do that. No, but yeah. it's, um, I it mean, he's just, down at your was, property now. Yeah, he's camped out there. He's riding moto. I gave him a moto bike, and you know, he's 
he's running because he doesn't like bicycles, I guess. Or you just haven't given him a bicycle yet, dude. I gave him two. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he sold them. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, they were hey, old. Gets we're working on it. Dude, he's always selling a bike, dude. He sells more bikes than anybody. I know. That guy, he's pretty good at flipping, dude. He's <laughs> he amazing, so dude. Charlie I post something it. and it's like flops instantly. I'm like, well, Z, I'll throw this up on your page, brother. <laughs> I'll throw you a little commish. Yeah. No, it just, it was the opportunity. I think the hundred hands down, it was just somebody that was that dedicated to like try to prove to me, you know, not anybody else. He was like, I want to prove to you that I can, I can do this. And that means a lot to me in, in this position as like a, as a, uh, you know, I would say race manager, team manager. You're Jackie Moon. Yeah. I'm racing and I'm going to be <laughs> racing. But I'm, I, I think that means a lot to me. And like <clears throat> in the sense of, yeah, if we're on the same bike and I can make him go faster because he's got maybe more talent than me left, you know, like maybe I used all mine up, mm-hmm. you know, I'll make him go faster. Like, yeah, that's my goal. Like, yeah. I want to see this bike. I want to see the, the program succeed. And I want to, you know, show that I made a, also a good choice, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm going to put everything I can into yeah. making sure. Because it's probably a lot, you know, there's a lot riding on that as well. Yeah, it's a big, you know, b- building a team now is, you know, you guys know, it's like, you know, it's been me the last you know, three years and it's been the first year I was the mechanic, you know, like I put the bike together the day before the race. Like yeah. I picked it up at JFK, put it together and raced at Williams Grove the next day, like kind of deal. You know, the whole program itself, like it's been nonstop work and, and, and like an evolution. It's like I started as a mechanic, you know, and the rider and the truck driver and the test guy and updating the guys on like parts we need. I mean, just did every aspect of it. Next year, I got a little bit more help. Got a mechanic that still was like just, you know, hands on everything. Last year, I brought in a new mechanic, had to teach him. You know, he's a super crust guy that I brought in and taught him the ropes. And I've learned so much about engine development and all this kind of stuff where now it's like I finally, for once, since this program started, I'm a team manager, but I'm also like I've let somebody else do the race engines. I have a pretty, I think, a really good mechanic for 2023. Um, But I also have this other rider, and I have all these people that I have to manage now, but I don't have to do as much hands-on of actually working on the bikes and doing stuff. So it's, um, you know, to to be in that role and then finally for once feel like I'm actually a racer again, like Mm -hmm. not trying to do every aspect. I'm still doing a lot, but it's like I'm a racer again, and this is like a good feeling for me coming into the 23 season. It's like... You know, there's the schedule looks pretty good. You know, even though we're combining classes, and I'll be racing with like the Jared Mees, the Briar, the you know all those guys. And again, I'm like excited more than ever to go racing. You know, it's like I want to see where I stack up on a damn Roy Infield against these Indians, Daytona Short Track. Yeah, I mean that's got to be something pretty cool because you know you've got some good. You were probably as fast as those guys. Um, at least most of them, even on the Indians, yeah, we were when they're close good, that night. you know, it was pretty close on time. And my and, bike was very early stages development. Yeah. It was a turd. Yep. But um, it's kind of cool coming into the season with, you know, for that and then having Wellesie and having somebody else on the bike to get feedback. You know, we all know Wellesie's sometimes <laughs> he's got too much feedback. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's good because, like, I've had other guys, you know, come and rode the bike and he didn't have much feedback. You yep. know, it was cool because he listened to me and he's like, dude, whatever you want to do, do it and I'll ride it. And that was good, but it didn't help me. Yep. You know? I know I made changes and I saw feedback, but I wanted something, somebody to give me something. And I think Wellesie will kind of add that to the program. Probably have to calm him down a few times. Like, <laughs> right, 
don't overthink it. Just ride the damn motorcycle. Yeah. You know, but I feel like that you're coaching and, you know, having that experience probably will help him in that realm. Cause it definitely seems like he needs somebody to be like, no, you're good. This is it. Yep. He, d- I don't feel like he's had that in the last, it's been a little while, been a little while, maybe since even Richie Morris and, you know, where somebody's just believed yep. in him solely to go, Hey, you're good. You got it. Yep. Let's do it. Yeah, I um, think I think it's gonna, be, it's gonna be cool, you know. Coming in the season, it's like I think both of us have good shots of winning, you know, Daytona short track. You know, he hasn't ridden the bike yet or anything, and <clears throat> I, mean, I don't haven't ridden the new one either yet. But it's one of those deals where you know, we both won Daytona short track. You, you know, know how to do it. He also rides TTs really well. He you know won over uh, Cody Cop at Peoria this year on pretty much a stock Honda. I think like went out and <clears throat> he won the the, the the semi. Yeah, <clears throat> and. uh He's got it. He just needs to. He can do it. He yeah. and a half miles, and he knows how to ride a mile. So it's like, I'm excited for yeah. him just as much as I'm excited. I'm excited for him, yeah. and it's it's a cool feeling to be in that position as a like I said, a racer, but also you know a coach and a manager of the whole program. So, how much nice. development do you think you're gonna like? Do you think you're gonna make a big step with the bike? I feel like we are. Um, we got some somebody that's been around the sport for a while that's kind of come into the the program. <clears throat> this year with the motors and then also the chassis guy you know he's he's won national so i'm pretty excited about who i got you know as a mechanic this year and also got roger you know <laughs> roger full-time my guy my guy so my brazilian the best brazilian buddy, he's buddy. a legend he is. for me for me you're the best he's a legend <laughs> in the moto side you know florida now moto stuff everybody <laughs> dude you're rolling filled trucks at the race i'm like yeah it's roger oh roger's there i need to talk to roger you know, it's like <laughs> he uh he became like He's my guy, and it's cool. So it's I got guy too. I got a really cool uh, group of people, you know, mm-hmm. this season, and I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, you, like I said, you kind of have a good ecosystem now, where I feel like a lot of people don't know how to build that, and I feel it's tough because you say you went from you know being the guy that does everything to give up those roles yeah. is pretty tough in itself. So I yeah. think, and even to the point of like <clears throat> my property now, you know, I've been away for two weeks. I had old quail. big dog got people doing training schools like moto schools there people have been flat tracking like it's good to kind of be finally in that position where i've built stuff and i have this whole group of people that i can sit back and i can go do these trips and not worry about my place burning down or people not getting a chance to ride while i'm gone yeah you know stuff's flowing now so it's all good what else you've been working on this off season i know you've been Training a little bit harder than you have in the past, too. I know. You saw me at the gym. Yeah, I was on the, the bicycle. Gym. No way. Every morning I was stretching out here. Program. Well, because, like, good. for a minute, though, you like, what's the vegan thing like? You still vegan? No. Oh, you're <laughs> off. I'm off. <laughs> you finally beat it. Oh, no yeah, way. As, as, it was like uh, a disease. Yeah, as, it cleared as, up. As Pridmore <laughs> says, you know, hopefully I got it cleared up. Well, I got it cleared up. So. <laughs> <laughs> what's it like? Because uh, you were on it for a hot it was minute. seven years. So, like, what's it like introducing in some fat juice <clears throat> meat? It's just... It's just, <laughs> it's just good. Just putting that back in the program. It's all of it. Yeah, it's all of it. You no, went it's... from you went from like one end of the spectrum to Joe Rogan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, to Garrett Grillov, big carnivore. Did you see how much meat I ate tonight? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I left like six pounds over there. Ate all of it. Yeah. Well, Have you noticed a difference board. though, like nutritional wise, like going vegan and then coming back introducing meat? Like, have you noticed your body? Because I remember we used to talk like, you, you know. Maybe you're not, you lose a bit of muscle being vegan. Yeah. You know, I don't want to say it because I'm going to get hosed by people, but 
we both noticed when I went plant-based, I lost a lot of like thick mass and yeah. stuff like that. Where did you notice that or how has it been? Do you feel how you have more energy? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's, it got to the point where it's just so stressful to be vegan. Like, it's tough. You know, it's, it's so hard to eat healthy on the road, all this kind of stuff as far as like plant-based only. So I think it was more of, I don't think it's really the diet because I think everybody's bodies relax differently. 100%. I think it's more just the stress level of traveling and trying to find this certain thing here and not doing this and not doing that. And it's like mentally it just fries you. Like you have to pretty much plan your day around. Yeah. yeah. And I still do. Yeah. But it's a lot easier to go to Whole Foods and get the stuff that I want. And, you know, yeah, I've changed a lot about my diet, not just not just added meat. It's like fish oils and all these other things. Alcohol. And, <laughs> I mean, alcohol's good for you. Yeah, Moderation. I got alcohol sponsors, so I got to gotta say it's good, right? Good. <laughs> But um, no, it's just it's just you know as I'm getting older, as yeah. Corey points out all the time, <laughs> gray hair and, and stuff. It's I became more aware of my body and what I kind of feel like I need, and I'm trying a lot more stuff than I ever have. You know, like I was like, yeah, plants, plants, and I felt good. You know, like I'd go on bicycle rides and I feel good. <clears throat> I just you know I could go a long time. It's just like I don't feel like I was strong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, I had the endurance. I just didn't have like the 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 pure strength, and obviously with flat track you don't have to have the the endurance. It's like eight minute race. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's revved. Yeah, like <clears throat> no, it's it is full for out. Sure. So it's uh yeah, I think it's just a good balance, and that's what I've been really working on is a good balance of you know what I need, and I'm still learning. It's like yeah, you know, every day I'm listening to different books and reading stuff and googling this and trying the different you know like I said vitamins or. Magnesium and like just everything I can think of. Like, I want to be a superhuman. So. Are you big into <laughs> Are you big into cold plunge? Super John. I've done it. I like it. I feel benefits of it. Yeah, I'm not religious with it. Okay. Um, I've done the whole like break the ice, jump in. You know, when it's freezing cold outside, yeah. or you know, there's in Claremont where I'm at. You know, where all the Supercross guys mm-hmm. are and stuff. There's a bicycle shop that has a hot and cold tank that <clears throat> I do feel the benefits. Like I ran a, a marathon the one day about a year ago. And my legs cramped up and I was like, couldn't even get into the tub. And I started doing the back and forth, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. And like, I felt really good the next day. Like, I did not think I was going to recover that well. And um, I think it's, it was that Hmm. contrast. That's interesting. It was really good. I got happy to do ice plunge the first time the other day. We did it with with Phelan. It was pretty good. Just dude, that video of Phelan <laughs> dude, was... He didn't even get in. Dude, that, dude, dude get, and you, he got his thighs. <laughs> you know what he started doing now because his foot's been hurting him? He just sits on the edge of it and just dips his, his foot in up to the ankle. Oh, that guy. I did, a, uh, a cryo, a I did a cryo treatment tank the other day. It was I've like, done cryo. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. But you got the mitts and like stuff. a lot of money for three minutes. I think it's yeah. horrible. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I'd rather be in the, like... Yeah, submerged. In... <laughs> Goggins, yeah. breathing through it, fully in it. Wim Hof, yeah, D- dude, Wim, I'm a big Wim Hof guy. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Ice man. I think all of it's good. I think it's all just perspective too. Like, do we yeah. really need all this? No, to go fast on a motorcycle. No. no, we all over train. Most of us, I would say, <clears throat> for actually riding. Yeah, you know, in my opinion, no, I think I think you guys do. So I'm just I'm like right there. Yeah, I'm not overdoing it. I'm yeah, just like right big there. John. Just what um. Why did you go? Why did you go vegan in the first place? Uh, it was actually with my ex-wife. We were trying to have kids, and she couldn't get pregnant, so she went fully raw. <clears throat> and um, like six months after trying for two years, she got pregnant. And was wow! Like, All right, well, I'll support this. So 
did it for a while and <clears throat> it was like when we moved you know uh, i really went that way when we actually moved to florida which you did a blueberry farm too right eight years ago yeah it's, there's blueberries there. still yeah kind of okay and um you know i stuck with it you know but <laughs> once you lose uh your chef <laughs> you're like oh, i'm not doing this no more so we uh yeah but i changed my mind changed my program Do i you went think- to brazil and you know <sighs> can't be vegan Could there, not, dude. Not meat in, in Brazil is just a little I, too good. Yeah, all of it's good. <laughs> <laughs> all of it. Hey, puppy. <laughs> oh man, uh, what do you think? Because uh, I remember, like, when I came down, obviously you were still married and vegan at the time, very much so. Um, and just kind of like being an outsider, like coming into the flat track world, like living a little bit at your place, just seeing how people kind of react to you and your kids and, you know, uh, the whole deal. Like you kind of had a stigma almost around you at the time, just from that whole thing being kind of progressive and vegan. Yeah. And like, it was weird. It's like the same thing with my shipping containers, but yeah. it became cool. Vegan became cool now, yeah. you know, in ways it's kind of hit its peaks and valleys. You yeah. Know? But yeah, it's like, <clears throat> I don't know. It kind of comes back to everything. I just really don't care what people think. So I just was doing my thing. Like, yes, I care. I obviously love people and I care what they think, but it's like if I'm trying something to better myself or I'm doing something to, you know, create an easier environment, I don't care what people are going to judge me for. Yeah. yeah. What's the container thing about? I know you you <clears throat> lived. Did you bring the container to, to Florida with you? No. I, I built it at one track and I moved it from one track to my property now. So That's where your sister lives. That's where Jenny lives. I, um, I have multiple containers on the property. It became a little <laughs> container village. At the track, we got bunk houses for people, you know, bathrooms, laundry room. We got a kitchen now I built out of one, uh, bike storage out of another one. Finally built a half-decent non-container race shop, a little loft above that. I saw the loft. That's yeah. nice. Where are you staying right now? <laughs> <laughs> In the loft. <laughs> I'm just, I'm easy. Like, I, I, you know, throughout my career, and, like, I've always wanted to help. I always want to create opportunities it's kind of whatever's easiest for people. And I, um, I gave up my house for my sister to live in basically. So she could be in Florida and start, you know, her new journey down there. And I moved back to the back and I'm super happy. Like just waking up, I look out my deck and I look right at my flat track to the, in the front, turn to the right and my motocross tracks over there. I mean, it really doesn't get any better than, than that for now. <laughs> I meet somebody for and they're now. like, you live where? <laughs> so, um, uh, so, you are divorced now. We kind of got to get into at least a little bit because I'm sure there's some ladies out there chasing after Big John. What's the deal? Where are you at with that? What's it like kind of going from that whole stage of your life being, you know, racing, married, and then having kids and doing that whole deal, having the whole family at the track to where you're at now with it? You learn a lot. You know, I learned a lot through going through what I went through. And um, same thing. It's like, actually wouldn't change a thing, you know, like wouldn't change going through what I went through and what I learned from it. I have two beautiful kids that obviously are just wild, long hair, blonde hair kids that run around and enjoying life. And I still share the property with her. You know, it's big enough property. She's up front. We're in the back. We have our own driveway. We do our thing. And it's, uh, it's good. You know, it's like you learn a lot about yourself. And I, I, I have in this last like year really, you know, I went, I had some good times, you know, <laughs> had some good times, not going to lie. Yeah, um, you got to. 
and you know, it was one of those deals. I was married for 11 years and back on the market and back on the market. And it's, um, it's definitely a journey, you know, to kind of be that, you know, 30, 31, 32 years old, like single again, trying to figure out, you know, what you actually want, you know, so a couple say I'm too picky. <laughs> I just have what I want. I know what I want now. It's like same thing with my racing stuff now and my training and how I want to live life. It's like, I don't know what I want a little bit more than I just going with the flow and just like, ah, I'll just, you know, create a relationship and end a relationship. It's like, you get into it and you realize real quickly it's not what you want and mm -hmm. you try to get out of it, you know? Now, like, we asked this question on the last pod. Joe, do you think early on stages, girls are a distraction for young racers and stuff like that? Or do you think, you know, we see a lot of young supercrossers, married, kids, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you, what do you think about that? No, I mean, I had a girlfriend my whole supermoto career. The tough thing was she was in college. Was this the really hot one I heard about? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I heard you had a really hot girlfriend at one time when you were quite young, and, and all the jocks hated you for it. That's yeah. what I heard. She was, yeah, she was good looking. <laughs> <laughs> Big John. But um, <laughs> but yeah, she was in college, so like it was tough when she couldn't come. Yeah, you know that was the challenge. Is like she was at college, and like you know we're young. It's college. Whatever. But it was like when she was there, I was I felt balanced. I felt I had that you know kind of. You know, I was grounded, you know, like wasn't trying to search for something. I wasn't yeah. trying to do something back then. We didn't have the special apps, you know, we have now for tracking down friends and family in the area. Tracking them down, <laughs> hunting them down. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was like, I felt balanced. And it's the same thing with Alicia. It was like, through my career, <clears throat> she was a balance in certain ways. Like, yeah. I went through a lot of peaks and valleys, and I owe a lot to her of kind of getting through them. You know, like certain times, like, if I didn't have her, I think things would have been a lot worse mentally for me. And I think that was a positive thing. And it's like now I'm I'm single in that realm of things and I'm, you know, dating or seeing people or doing doing things. And it's like I kind of caught myself being a mess for a little bit and like not feeling grounded. <clears throat> and it's like I see how much I want that again. So it's like I do want that. You know, I think it's a positive thing. And I think it's why all these supercross guys are, are – you know, having their best careers while they're married and having kids because it's like they're grounded, they're doing their thing, and they they know there's something once this ends. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, it's tough having kids. Being everybody's like, ah, oh, you know, I can't believe you're still racing when you have the kids. Like people that just don't understand racing, say yeah. that kind of stuff to you, and it's like, well, they they see what I'm doing. They're like excited for your dad. <clears throat> yeah, it's, there's a risk that you know something could happen to me, but they also are around a community of people and, and meeting so many people and it's, it's part of their lives in, in ways, but, and it's kind of how they grow, you know, it's like, instead of just being, you know, having a house in the suburbs and, you know, going to school and you know being the same, it's like, it's not the life that I want my kids to be. And, yeah. you know, it's like this year, you know, my kids have been around probably the month of January, probably had a good 60 people come to the property and 60 people they got to interact with, my kids are so social. They're so awesome that way. So for me, it's like, you know, it's nice having them around a bunch of people. So if I do bring a girl over, they don't really realize it's a girl. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, just another friend riding. <laughs> you know, something like that. So it's kind of a nice introduction, you know. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's easing things over for them. So, but it's that balance, I think, is for sure. It's, it's kind of just creates a really good balance, you know, having a relationship in certain ways, you know. Um, I think that's, 
one thing I'm chasing. You know, it's just like chasing results. It's chasing that good balance mm -hmm. in a relationship that you can thrive. I want somebody that I can thrive with. I know kind of the stuff I'm into and what I where I want to see my career and what I want to do. Like from now to like 40, which is only seven years. Yeah, Corey, you know, let me know. But like, oh, where you I said you're 32. Now you're saying I'm 33. 30. Uh, all right Chad. started at 30 <laughs> <laughs> i was saying that's when i got you know separated relax what's your social so <laughs> oh that's my data birth. um but no i think balance is good you know it's kind of what i'm you know, reading a lot of books lately I'm trying to find that balance you know trying to find what i chicks really like need. that chicks like guys that read books i know that's what i'm saying <laughs> So if we get a lot of female followers on this would one. You, uh, would you have another kid? For sure. Yeah? I love kids. Really? I've loved kids since I was... I could see like, John with like 10 kids. Like, I could. John is, and Kate plus 10. Who's the... Uh, <laughs> Nick Cannon? It's going to be John. <laughs> Johnny Cannon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, you know, why not? Why would you ask All right, these questions, Elon. Bro, man? Huh? Why would you ask these questions? Because I'm just curious. I mean, <laughs> I think it's interesting. Like, you know, so what we talked about what James is saying, it's like just how that whole trend in Supercross or just racing in general used to be like, you'd be like a bad boy, you know, chasing all the chicks. Like, that was like the thing. Like, if you had girls, girlfriend, it was going to be a headache. It, was, it wasn't cool. Is that what Richie said? No, actually, Richie didn't really give me any advice on the chicks. Yeah. Yeah, he was pretty focused. JP, on the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, JP. But, no, I mean, that's why. And I think it's also interesting because I don't think people people think of racers as, like, just racing and riding. Yeah. And they forget that there are people yep. away from it. Robots, you know? man. Yeah. And it's, yeah, everybody wants to do it. But it's like, I feel like it's, you know, there was a, just a big stigma. And it's interesting to see, I mean, just different perspectives. And especially, you know, being married, you know, pretty young yeah, for a long time. So. <laughs> It's it's interesting, you know, I feel like as well, it, it maybe keeps you away from some of the parties, you know, so like that stuff. I feel like y you see a lot of guys in their career kind of get sucked in and we've seen some really big names get sucked into some, you know, parties and bad people and stuff like that that can't get out and yeah. once you get in. So uh, it's interesting. Yeah, we have our addiction. It's called two wheels. Yeah. <laughs> That's what sucked yeah. me in. It's get me away from that stuff. Expensive. Expensive. All right, John. Well, um, you got to do it. We're getting towards the end of it here. Um, we got one last question, and we ask everybody. You're only our second guest, so we've asking everybody now. <laughs> Joe and me. Joe and, Joe you. and you. Well, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what you say. Joe's is, is, I mean, it's Joe, so he's got what he's going to do. But I just yeah, ask the question. <laughs> just, you're, in, you're in jail. We don't know why. You're on death row. You did some bad shit. You got one last meal. What is it? One last meal? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can see in your eyes what your first thing went to, but we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Full meal. Come on. Full meal. Well, just, yeah. Like I guess it's a surfing turf, I guess now. See how surfing turf. You got to have a little fish, a little steak. Okay, what kind? Like what where? kind of fish? From where? Yeah. I know, like, like what's your something? favorite meal? I'd make meal? them fly it in from Alaska, you know. Right. So like a salmon? Down. No, it's like king crab legs and all that, you know, lobster okay. and a steak. What kind of steak? Big juicy one. But like a filet? All of it. <laughs> yeah, a little fat on there. Gotta have a little fat, you know. So ribeye? Yeah. Okay. It's juicy. What, uh, french fries? <clears throat> no, it's french fries. Alcohol? 
trying to stay nice and fit, you know. Why? It's, you're going to die. You know? <laughs> you're going to die. You get a dad bod. You are a dad, you know. Got a dad bod? <laughs> would you, would you have a drink me. or would you just? Uh, whiskey for sure. Okay. Well, there you have it. Surf and turf. Surf and turf. Wow. Interesting. Well, dude, seriously, thanks for coming on the show. We knew this was going to be a fun one. Um, we appreciate it. And yeah. Thanks for stopping by the Ocho. Yeah. Good for having me here. Garage 8. <laughs> the Ocho. Ocho, dude, it's not Garage 8. It's Garage 8 to me. It's the Ocho. Uh, it's Ocho. Ocho. I think, Ocho. I think <laughs> your uncle feels the same way. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.